Another episode of the All Music Is Good podcast, the podcast that takes a deep dive into four recent releases. We get right in there to try and work out what's great and sometimes not so great about each one. This week we'll be looking at albums from Georgia Smith, St. Vincent, Justin Bieber, and Daniel Lenoir. And Eric tonight has a bit of a feeling of deja vu about it, like like we've been, somehow been here before. And I think for the reason, I think the reason for that is because we bloody well have been. Yes, mate, that's right. We're back. We're back in lockdown Armageddon number four in Melbourne. And here I am back in my acoustically untreated laundry. And whilst I'm generally upbeat about these types of things, I'd much rather be in in a room with you guys drinking cheap red wine and munching on a bag of prawn crackers with my co-hosting buddy and partner in crime, Arik Bloom. So, Arik, I've had a hot tub tonight. We're back in the hot tub world. I've made some homemade dumplings. Um, my neighbour just turned up with some lemon meringues from the local Greek mm. cake shop. Mm. I've had a couple of drams of this lovely um, Kleinlish 14-year-old age whiskey. Um, so, look, I'm, I'm slowly coming out of the funk. There'll be no intro negging tonight, unfortunately, but there'll be heaps more drinking and some robust discussion, I hope, about music to get me back into my happy place. So, look, it's on that cheery note that I say hello and welcome, and let's keep the repartee sparkling tonight to my co-host and lockdown friend, Arik Bloom. Arik. Waza. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to see you uh, in, the, in, the, in the second dimension. I've got a little, we're, uh, <laughs> yes. you're, you're not as pointy um, and rotund, but nevertheless, very handsome. I'm not lounging back on you're, your couch. You're not. You're not. You're not making yourself two at home, which is good. You're upright. Um, look, good to see you. Uh, indeed, deja vu. Perhaps a glitch in the matrix, you could say. Um, but uh, look, to, to mark today's special occasion, I decided to pull out my my turtleneck attire. Yeah. Um, that was definitely yeah. a staple through lockdown. Uh, mm. Well, lockdown one and two in 2020, and here we are in lockdown number four, I guess. But look, let's not harp too much on it. Let's just enjoy the fact that, um, you know, we are once again, uh, you know, I mean, look, this whole podcast was a result of lockdown. So, for I what 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 may be apparent is, I'm actually expecting a bright idea to come through on the text message tomorrow. Where you're like, hey, you know what the world needs? The world needs X, and then I'm gonna, you know, because I'm such an enabler, I'll just be like, oh my god, why do we have to? Yeah, we just have to do <laughs> not, that. Not turtlenecks. Yeah, not yeah, turtlenecks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did the spa last time, and speaking of spas, Eric, I did send you an article. I saw last that. week, and I don't know if you perused it, but not yet. Like, so, so Eric and I, obviously, for those who have listened to this podcast before got into the inflatable hot tub world um, in lockdown number one. And uh, I was I was scanning the uh, my favourite, you know, left-wing newspaper, The Guardian, the other day. And I come across an article from, from I think it, it's got to be somewhere in Scandinavia. I think it was Norwegian. But what they'd worked out was that if you sit in a spa at 40 degrees for an hour, it's the equivalent of doing a workout. Not, not in a way that you're going to lose weight or um, build muscle, but basically it just gets the blood 
heated up and flowing around your body. So it's the equivalent, 40, 40 degrees. Yeah. For $500 every second day. It's better than... I mean, they said you might feel light, you know, lightheaded and a bit weird and queasy, but um, yeah, the, the science don't lie. Arguably better value than a uh, gym membership. Uh, or a um, like ab sizer or what are they, what are they called? Oh yeah, you know, yeah, one of those ab ab three thousand machines. Absolutely. There's, there's a new thing I was reading this morning. Did you see about that thing called Peloton? It's like some like thing that's coming to Australia where you all get on a bike and ride in um, real time on a on your thing, looking at cameras with people around you. It's quite weird. I think it's a three D thing. Unfortunately, I didn't I didn't get a read of that was because some of us uh, have actually been working for the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Apart from rather, rather than lounging around in hot tubs and, you know, following hobby pursuits. <laughs> I had a hot tub before I went to work, you dick. Okay, um, fair enough. So, so quickly, like I just wanted to say a couple or oh, one thing in particular. I picked up last thing, you know, you know how we picked you up on that reference last week, the Otis Redding and Carla Thomas um Song that was in that the album that we listened to. Was it the Beastie Boys one? <laughs> boop, 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 yeah. Boop, yeah, yeah. Boop, and I said it was Otis and Carla, and I was like, "Yeah, it's Tramp." But then I, then I, it was gnawing at me all week, and I'm like, "That's not Tramp. That's Champ oh. by the Mohawks," which was an instrumental Hammond version of the Otis and Carla tra- Tramp. So I just, I just feel like I needed to correct that for my own sanity and OCDness. Um, anything else, Eric? Anything else going uh, on, dude? Not, not a hell of a lot. Um, what can I tell you? I've definitely been back on the cooking, um, which has been which has been nice. I made a an Ottolenghi, uh sumac chicken oh. dish the other day. I mean, we did two the other night. Oh, which one was it? The sumac. Uh, sumac. It's out of the Jerusalem book. Okay. Yep. Look, similar. Uh, I mean, mine was like sumac and zata. So, basically, a four hour four hour marinade. But simple marinade, just a bit of olive oil, a bit of lemon, um, just, you know, a shitload of sumac and za'atar and salt and pepper and a bit of cinnamon, and then uh, just marinated eight beautiful chicken thighs and chucked it in the oven, and there, there you know, then had had some glass potatoes as well, and then mushed them in with the sauce, it was wild. Um, so that was a bit of, that was a bit of a thing. Uh, had a gig cancelled, um, but you know, didn't we all? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's really about it. I can't really tell you much. I wish I could. Um, no, no new real kind of rabbit hole key interests, which has been a bit unfortunate. No more Pavarotti and friends this week. There hasn't been much. I mean, there has been a few, but we we'll, might might dig into that a little bit later. So I think so. I'm so, feeling that too. So it was. It wouldn't be an all music is good podcast without a celebrity guest. So uh, why don't you uh go ahead and uh. Introduce it to our listeners who our celebrity guest is this week. It'd be my, be my pleasure, Eric. So, Eric, if I was to say the word contra cross depunctus to you, would you know what I was talking about? Contra cross depunctus. Yeah, I would, I would, I would, um, I would say that that sounds like almost like a cocktail that you could buy in a bar. Well, I mean, that may be one version of it, but like. For my version, you'd have to log on to the website of our guest tonight and read through her thesis titled Bastard Jazz to gain an understanding of how jazz has been like, you know, in a self-destructing state for the past 30 years as a result of, you know, taking language and repertoire, repertoire predominantly from its own language to feed itself. So, like, whilst reading this thesis 
And I will say it's not the first thesis I've read while researching for this podcast, as you may recall, but, you know, maybe that argument could be made or applied to classical music genre and like why it continues to die slow death. So, so this thesis, Eric, was written 13 years ago. So I'm interested to hear whether she still believes, you know, her and uh, Douglas Hofstadter's theory still rings true. Uh, <laughs> Eric, our guest tonight has a bio that puts both of ours to shame. She's released nine albums and appears on over 30 recordings from other artists. Um, she's toured the globe. She's performed with artists such as like Kate miller Heike, you know, Ali McGregor, Harris, Harry Angus, Nat Barch, Paul Brugowski. Um, she has her own group, Spirograph Studies, along with many others. Her albums have been nominated for Age Music Awards, Air Awards, Bell Awards. Um, not only is she a performer, she's a composer for, for many projects. Um, she was awarded the first inaugural PBS Young Elder of Jazz Award. She's worked as music director and arranger for the Brunswick Music Festival, Monash University M Live. And if that wasn't enough, Eric, just to prove how awesome she is, she's currently educates, you know, our young, our young musicians of the future at VCA and Box Hill. And it's a great privilege and honour to say hello to our guest tonight, Tamara Murphy. Tamara, welcome. Woo, woo, woo. Hi. <laughs> Can you do all my promo? <laughs> it sounds so much fancier when you say it all. <laughs> well, I've been working on it for 23 episodes. I mean, you know, could have gotten better at something. <laughs> So, so tomorrow, bastard jazz. Like, I'm interested to know whether, like, this is required learning <laughs> for all your jazz students. Uh, no, look, uh, uh, it's called bastard music. Oh, bastard um, music! Shit, bastard yeah. music. Sorry, I did read it. I did read it. I think, I think, I think. Yeah, it's a good, um, it's a good cure for insomnia if you're if you're ever stuck. Um, yeah, I. Uh, it was sort of therapy doing that for me. You know, I was doing lots of jazz gigs and and just trying to. I don't know, piece it all together, you know, doing gigs to people who were three times my age, playing music that was from another country when I was in my 20s and just going, what's happening? Just I just couldn't find a way for it all to make sense. So just started uh, digging in there and working out uh, some of my issues with the music, you know. So it's sort of my therapy in a master's thesis, yeah. <clears throat> so do you still think, do you still um, believe in the basic premise of what you've written? Do you think it's changed in the last last 10 years? Yeah, oh yeah, totally. Look, I think all art forms need to evolve or die as a basic uh, thing. I think that's just, you know, what what all art forms need to do. I think it's a pretty standard, um, you know, I think all art is a, you know, it's a like, reflection of the time and place in which it's created. So, you know, time keeps moving on and if you're creating things in a different place in the globe and, and stuff, it's going to be different. Anyway, so I think that's a good thing. So I, got, I think the question on uh, Eric, I wanted to come. You go, Eric. Go, Eric. So was a hates? Was a hates when I talk? In general, I just want to talk more about this. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's so interesting. Look, I don't want to. I don't want to steer things off course. But I think, um, and, and was we will return <laughs> to um, to your line of questioning because I, I think it is important. But but the thing that I am stuck on is uh, you uh, you won an award as a young elder and <laughs> I really like just to get an understanding of what being a young elder looks and feels like um is it is it specific <laughs> to like uh like jazz uh or what is a young elder what is a young elder 
Oh, it's a great question. It was one of those things that it's like, yes, great, I won this thing. It was really a commission award. You win some money to write some okay. music. Um, and they hadn't done it before. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't name the award, but yeah, it's a little confusing and it it's a bit it's a bit odd. I'll, I'll, that's all I'll say. No, but I think it's a you great. You can say that eight years after you won it, ten I, years I, after you won like, it. Like I love it. I think I think um, I reckon like maybe the next name of you, like your next album, Young Elder, could could be a vibe. <laughs> or mid mid aged elder. Mid, I don't know. Mid aged elder. Well, look, I, I mean, it's like a like an Adele album, you know. I would. I I, I reckon like, if if someone was to call me a young elder, I could really lean into that. Um, and that's kind of like I've been. Well, I did start smoking a pipe. That's right. Around I mean, ever since I started pulling this turtleneck T-shirt out of the closet, <laughs> I've felt like quite a young elder myself. Um, yeah. Sorry. Anyways, but you just need some elbow patches. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're getting there. Uh, I mean, yeah, on the elbows. <laughs> a uh, bit more tartan. Yeah, think, a bit more tartan. So. Um, I, I, look, I do apologise for interrupting. You know, doing this thing on Squadcast—it's always a little bit—it's uh, a little bit trickier. I can't really—I can't get the scent of Waz's anticipation in relation to his line of questioning. So I really just—I uh, just sort of fire, shoot from the hip. But um, it was going to be boring. That's right. fine. That's fine. Tamara, tell us about some of those collaborations. They sound really cool. So. Um, in that bio, I heard, uh, was it Paul Grabowski, Harry Angus, um, Kate Miller-Heike, mm-hmm. quite a diverse range of musicians. Um, how do you sort of approach mm. those kind, like that, that space where you're asked to work in such different kinds of styles? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's sort of, it's it seems very, uh, sort of makes sense that we're talking about this here because, you know, I think it fits with your whole thing of the podcast where I just like good music. It's not really, I'm not really, I don't feel really limited to different styles. Of course, I know about some playing certain styles better than others, you know, um, but, you know, like all of us, I'm just trying to get better at playing all sorts of music that I'm asked to play. Um but, uh, you know, each thing's a bit different. So, you know, if you're playing with Harry or Kate, you're sort of playing tunes live that have been pre-recorded before and it's sort of more of a pop thing. Whereas Harry's things, you know, it's a bit looser. You sort of, there's lots more room for improvisation and it gets a bit more rowdy on stage and you have, there's a plan A, but then plan B is always just right around the corner and whatever happens, happens. Um, but playing with Paul is like a whole different thing again where it's like... You have to draw in a lot of uh, jazz language, and it's much more of a jazz sort of bass thing, um, you know. So it's each thing's a bit different, you know. But I just like playing. I, I love the variety, and I just like playing good music with good people. So um, I'm pretty lucky that I, I get to do all the things that I do. Yeah, and in relation to your own releases, do you ever go back to some of those kind of projects that you collaborated on and? bring some of those players or artists into your own work? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I know the people I've worked with, it's sort of you're like a big part of a big family where everyone, you know, the people even if you haven't worked with them heaps, they're a bit of like the extended family where you don't get to see them as much or something. Yeah. But um, they're sort of still on the radar. Mm. And um, so if there's something you want to do and you think, oh, this would be so cool, that would be the perfect drummer for this person. In fact, we're thinking of this, uh, <laughs> my friend of mine wants to do this art 
uh, this very dark art rock project with a couple of double basses, electric bass. Oh, it's going to yeah. be a nightmare. Oh. And um and and guitars, all with effects. And we, he was like, "What sort of drummer should we get?" And I was like, "Oh, Joe Tarley would be good, but he lives bloody in Berlin, <laughs> so we've got to." You know, but then thinking of someone else who'd be perfect. Maria Moles is an amazing drummer here. We should ask her to do this thing. It hasn't happened yet. But, you know, that thing of just people who are on your radar, who you've worked with a bit, but you just got to find the right person for the, the gig, you know. So, you know, the. Um, do you remember um, that band? Yeah. Oh, Eric, remember that band of the 90s um, called Pre Shrunk with the two basses? Oh, yeah. Pre Shrunk, Ripper Band. Yeah. Oh. I love that band. I used to love they that were, band. They were great. One had like a, one, there was a six string bass and a four string bass in that band. Am I right? I can't yeah. remember. I just remember there was a tall guy who wore <laughs> sort of really baggy pants, and then there was a little guy. I was going to. <laughs> what I was going to say, Tamara, was um, you know, you're in good company over here because there's. I, I, I would, I would, I would shudder to think there'd be too many spaces where a niche. Three bass, uh, three bass guitar project would get such a glowing, warm welcome than the All Music Is Good podcast. This was look, this this musical idea came about at a dinner party a few weeks ago where we all had way too much to drink, and somehow this stupid name came about. And then we're like, oh yeah, we should totally do this thing. And then I got a text the other day from someone who was there going, yeah, right. So we're doing this thing, and I'm like, hmm. Okay. I, I can it's see this as, um, Spotify release of the week, Eric. I can see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's like, I mean, the good thing about that project, Tamara, is like there are heaps of playlists on Spotify specific to three bass, <laughs> three bass guitar projects. Yeah. So I think. Um, no, no, two electric, one one double. I think that's a, its own sorry, genre. Sorry, so, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's right. Well, so It's actually two double and one electric. Oh, two, yeah. sorry, sorry. I but like correctly. shit talking. It's a nightmare. But, it's you know, dumb. like shit talking aside, the concept of niche, fundamentally, all you really want, I mean, was don't you think sometimes it's like about hitting a niche of a thousand people? And I could tell you. 100%. There would be a thousand people on this planet yeah, yeah. that would absolutely <laughs> yeah. turn themselves inside out to hear a record with two electric basses and one double bass. So, as, as much <laughs> shit as you talk, Eric, as much shit as you talk, that is actually 100% correct. And there, there would be a thousand people in the world who would be diehard into that. And, like, that's your market. Ooh, that's so funny. And they would buy albums. It's, it's mental. The global community. <laughs> So I didn't think I'd end up talking about this tonight. That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> well, it's got to happen now, obviously. It's, it's on the record. Yeah, That's right. We'll have to check back uh, in in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tamara, yeah. like, like, are you Melbourne born and bred? Like, what? how, how did you get your start in music? I like, am. Um, I grew up in, Brun- in West Brunswick before it was the chic oh. uh, suburb it is now. It was like the western suburbs when I grew up there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was pretty lucky. I sort of went to an inner city school that was a state school that was uh, very, um, I don't know, I was just really encouraged to play music um, from a young age. And like I, my parents were divorced and my mum's boyfriend when I grew up was an entrepreneur and a musician. So he brought out musicians from the States, um, jazz musicians that toured around Australia. So oh, wow. um, I got to meet heaps of musicians when I was a kid. I got dragged to heaps of jazz gigs. I hated jazz when I was a kid, <laughs> of course, because I was normal. Who doesn't? Who, yeah, yeah, what exactly. kids go? Yay, jazz! It's amazing. <laughs> um, and uh, 
Um, so a lot of the people who are now my, um, who I'm very lucky to call my colleagues, are people who I've known since who I was you hated quite when young. You, you when they were young. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I don't think hate is a very strong <laughs> yeah, word. But, um, Dislike a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was extremely indifferent to uh, what was happening at the time, but um, you know, looking back, it was pretty lucky, and and also I was a pretty quiet, shy kid, so I feel like I got to quietly observe a lot of stuff. Um, and be pretty ignored, which meant I, I probably got to see and hear a lot of things that a lot of kids uh, my age didn't get to see. And so, I don't know, I just feel like I was um, already part of the family when I sort of uh, started doing gigs and all that stuff. So all these, I remember when I started doing gigs and um, uh, and I'd already been around heaps of musicians, you know, my whole life since I was about seven or eight or something and um, doing my first gigs and everyone was really weird, like they'd be on their best behaviour, like not swearing and all that stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Everyone's being really weird. And I realised it was the whole girl thing. Everyone was uh. like trying to be polite and they were all censoring themselves. I'm like, I've grown up around the most obscene musicians who are very sweet, but you cannot offend me. Like it's yeah. I dare you basically. And so when I started doing gigs, I developed a bit of a um, a few icebreakers where I just had some incredibly offensive jokes that I would tell just to go, it's cool. <laughs> You don't have to tiptoe around me. I'm fine. Just be normal. It's it's almost more offensive you treating me differently mm. than than just whatever you know. Just pretend I'm a dude. It'll be fine. So um yeah. So that's sort of the start. So that's a good segue to something that piqued my interest in your website, which was the flipped interview series you've recently started. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What what was the inspiration for that? Well, actually, speaking of things that started in lockdown, that was a uh, well. That was like a slow burning thing that uh, you know. After I've been playing music professionally for I don't know over twenty years or something, and um, you know, you get interviewed, put out an album, and someone interviews you, and you're like, "Great, I get an interview. Cool, this is so great. I can talk about my music." And they sit down with you, and imagine if they're going, "Waza, great." Let's yeah. talk about your album, but first, what's what? it like being a dude? Yeah, and you're you're like, dude. I know that's what? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what's happening now? What, what are your why, experiences why are you asking me about being a dude and music and like playing with other yeah, girls? Yeah, it's so great it's that like, you're a guy. Tell me about that. And you're like, what? I don't know how to. Okay, and you're like, cool. Um, you're in this position where I can't, I can't really call you on your shit. I've got a you know, you're the gatekeeper to the, my PR right now, so I have to be really polite and do the right things, but. After 20 years of it, I'm like, actually, I'm pretty sure they don't ask the guys the same questions. Oh, uh, and a lot of my friends are excellent dudes, a lot of friends, you know, who are, who are men. And I thought it'd be fun to, um, you know, in lockdown, I was talking to my partner going, hey, what do you reckon if I did this interview series? But I asked them all the stupidest questions that I could think of that were like that. And so I started making up questions. But then I went, hang on, I probably don't have to make them up. And no. I started researching interviews and I found all of the inter all the questions I ask my uh, my male heroes and colleagues are ones that women have been asked but I've just reversed the genders just to go, hey, we can talk about this in a way that's inclusive and poke fun at it but also go, this is sort of dumb. It's like, fucked. And this it, is some it, of the shit that it's happens. It's so funny yeah. reading the interviews sort of like and the guys going, well, no, I actually haven't ever felt sexualized." Um at all, well, but sort of like it, like you're right. You read the questions back in a in a in a flipped gender sense, and it just makes zero sense. And you're like, well, why would you ask those questions? It's it's really good. So congratulations, I think it's great. Oh, thank you. It's one of the easiest, most clever things I've done in my life. I'm, I'm quite, feel very lucky. 
to have thought of it. It only took 20 years of being hassled about <laughs> ask those questions for me to go, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. This isn't cool. All right, you've got, uh, let's you've got to check fun. out. You've got to check out tomorrow's website. There is so much shit on it. Like there's lead sheets, there's like theses, there's like interview series. It's just it's gold. It's a gold mine. That's amazing. It's like <laughs> its own. Um, it's like uh, I know, like when you you know these days on free to air TV, you've got Channel Ten, and then you've got like <laughs> like you know five <laughs> other channels associated with Channel Ten. Tomorrow was that the kind of plat- <laughs> was that the model that you were kind of going for like a free to air TV kind of yeah that's exactly I mean apart from the ads if any if any advertisers <laughs> <laughs> yes yes look you are look we've been let's looking monetize we've this been bitch. actually let's looking for a um we've like it's funny you say like we've been looking for a uh, business development manager here on the All Music Is Good <laughs> podcast so. Uh, you may have just landed yourself not, another job. I'm not the person you've been looking for. Not only that, another job, but we're just another tab on your website. So we are rocking. <laughs> <laughs> you look at all the kids these days, Eric, and they just have like links to their mm. Instagram, their Facebook, and their TikTok. And you look at Tamara's, and it's like she's just like going against the grain. And I just think there's something in it. It's just it's way too much. And it's just awesome. That's great. <laughs> so, so good. So good. Um, well, thank you for coming on tonight. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, if we haven't really covered any of your career, please just jump in like, you know, with, with anything during it, during the There's tonight. nothing I need to say. Any, any asides, <laughs> yeah. any this asides, any sort of, you know, like stuff that's going to big up you during this episode tonight, please just do it because we love that. That's what we're about. Cause Rx going <laughs> to, Rx just does it just as a, you know, as a normal thing. So yeah, you just need to go with him. Okay. So Rx, should we move into the Instagram like of the week? Let's do it. Okay. So the Instagram like of the week is a segment that celebrates a new Instagram account. We have come across between episodes each week, I invite Arik and our celebrity guest, Tamara Murphy, to guess who this mystery account may be. And as we re- reiterate each episode, it's not about the amount of likes our account gets. We don't go for the cheap buzz of a new like. It's more about the honour one should and no doubt would feel by having the All Music Is Good Instagram account like them. Arik, I've got to be honest, I've been off socials the past few weeks. Who knows what's going on? What is going on? Oh, actually, I do know what's going on. Um, Jessica Watson... There's about to be a, um, who we liked in episode three, there's about to be a mini-series made about her journey around the world. So that's pretty exciting. Oh, wow. That would be, that would be exciting. Um, was that <laughs> like... No, I mean, is that... Yeah, you sound excited. Did she... Is that when she did it circumnavigated solo? Yes, that's right. So is, does that then suggest that maybe, in fact, she wasn't solo and there was a camera crew on deck. No, no, it's a biopic. It's like oh, Delta biopic. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a, you know, a thing. Okay. Look, tonight's inductee into the All Music Is Good Hall of Fame is a singer and she got her big break coming fourth for England in the Eurovision Song Contest. Okay. England. Yes, England. Mm. Okay, next clue. Do we have a year? <laughs> Would you give the year or is that too much of a dead giveaway? I'm not feeling comfortable with giving okay. the year right. just Fair yet. Enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm. Okay. okay. Um, she's won a total of four Grammy Awards. 
four Grammy Awards came fourth in Eurovision. Okay. Yep. Okay, next clue is, initially she was primarily known as a country artist before becoming a more mainstream pop artist during her mid-career. Um, Leanne Rhymes? No. <sighs> she is starred... Man. She is starred... I don't think Leanne Rhymes is English either. There um, you go. she's more American. Okay. Um, look, she's starred in one... Possibly two cult movies. Possibly two. And she's English. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely one. I wouldn't call the second cult, but in in another way, it is cult. Okay. All right. So this is a bit special for me tonight. I just I just want to just want to put it out there early. That's cool. So part country singer. Two cult movies came forth in the Eurovision Song Contest. Wow, it's a. Are you just putting this into like some sort of? No, 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 no. That's tomorrow. But but that is a serious. um, Sorry, tomorrow. Go ahead. Did you say four Grammys? Four Grammys. Four Grammys. Yeah. Okay, she has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Ooh. Ooh. She's prime time. She's prime time. Okay. I'll give you the last clue. Yep. She's Australian. Whoa, 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 oh. whoa, whoa. I, I, <laughs> not Kylie. <laughs> it's not Kylie. No, it can't be Kylie. I don't think Kylie's won oh. a Grammy. English. Four Grammys. No. <laughs> Let alone four. Uh, wait, she's Australian, but what did you what did you say she was English? I said she came forth for England. In the Eurovision oh, Song Contest. Okay. So she may have been born in England. And and Tamara, just FYI, like it definitely couldn't be Kylie because we already followed Danny, and that would just be too, <laughs> too predictable. Um, <laughs> and it's Kylie's birthday this week, so I think everyone would be. Yeah, be everyone, everyone would you have know, guessed. You'd be getting that too quickly. Yeah, Was can you, uh, um, yeah, sure. can you just give us? Can you give me a clue about the second cult movie, or is that just going to be a dead giveaway? Uh, if I gave it to you, you probably wouldn't know, but I'll give it to you anyway. Okay. okay. The second cult. So, uh, the letter, the second cult movie begins with the letter X. Oh, God. Um. Oh, people are out there in podcast land going, oh, my, oh my God, gosh. it's so obvious. I know, I feel so dense. <laughs> That's okay. It's Rx. Rx is a dense one. He's, he's played this game before. Uh, I was going to no. I, I was trying to. I was getting confused with V for Vendetta. It starts with X. So it's it's an X Men film, and no, it's not an X Men film. Okay, it's uh. That's totally where I went to. Xanad- Xanadu <laughs> is Xanadu X-Men? starting. Does Xanadu start oh, with an X? Oh no, it's not Olivia. It is. Well, this week we wel- <laughs> no. we welcome to the. <laughs> Almost good as podcast Hall of Fame, Olivia Newton John. Oh yes! Oh my God! Go Samara. Does she work? <laughs> no, well, you you called Xanadu. That was as good as as getting it. Well done, Eric. One um, if not two so cult movies. Couple, okay. Yes. Well, Greece is obviously the cult movie. Xanadu is sort of oh, like of cultish, but um. So like so some interesting facts. I've got to I've got to read out like um. 
Well, maybe it's not a surprise fact, but the song Xanadu like, was written by ELO and Jeff Lynne, and it's their only ever number one hit in the UK. Another interesting fact was that John Lennon really liked the song Magic from, from the Xanadu soundtrack. He said it was like one of his favourite songs. And actually, if you go back and watch, I, I've been going on a deep ONJ like deep dive this week because like <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved Olivia Newton-John so much. I had the best of hits and it was like a vinyl album and it opened up into this gatefold and like she was like laying back on a beach in this like crochet sort of top and like she was my dream 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 world dream girl dream girl and um dream girl and if you go and like watch jeff lynn performs anadu there's this youtube footage of him doing it in 2018 it sounds like a george harrison song it's crazy so it's really beatles influenced i've got um, a, I've and got last a, oh, fact because last fact Eric, last fact because i'm going down a deep rabbit hole um if you um you know juliana hatfield the um 90s indie artist she oh, yeah. released a cover album full of Olivia Newton-John songs about two years ago, and it's surprisingly awesome. Um, so yeah, Olivia Newton-John. Wow. Arik, what have you got ONJ. to say? ONJ. I've got a ONJ story. Um, I I, <laughs> I I crossed paths with ONJ in 2005 at Metropolis mm. Studios in South Melbourne. Oh, and yes, everyone was um, everyone was very like. You know, Arik, get out of the foyer. ONJ's coming through, and at the time, because I, I, I was just, I was just like the chatty guy. I actually worked, um, I worked upstairs in in a, at a company called Com Copy Image Stream, which was a video dubbing. Oh yeah, uh, company. Yep, yep, yep. But you're always downstairs. But I was always downstairs at Metropolis, just chatting with the staff, and you know, my old band. We recorded an EP at Metropolis, but I was basically my lunch breaks. I just go and chat with the crew at Metropolis and they said, you've got to clear out ONJ is coming through. And uh, ONJ was there and she was there kind of mentoring, guess who? Shantuzzi's. Delta. Delta Gildrum. Delta, it was like Delta Gildrum was just coming through at the time and ONJ was there to give her a hand. And I'm like, of course she was there to give her a hand. I mean, you know, that's just ONJ's style. Just a good good egg. Helping helping Delta. <laughs> Tamara, do you have any like like memories of Owen J growing up? Like was like she was that yeah, your bag? Well, I I just remember watching um watching video hits as a kid and like let's get physical was like always one of the top ones when I was a kid. And I just think those um <laughs> those amazing Leotards so that good. like went that was so high cut. <laughs> <laughs> so just like a seared into my brain. I'm just never gonna not see that ever. Like if I want to see, I just close my eyes and they're still there. From <laughs> you know, with the fluoro, they're just still. <laughs> There's certain songs I've had to relearn over and over because I can't get them to s- stick there. But like those leotards are taking up <laughs> <Yeah>. valuable space. <laughs> That's actually one of the classic video clips. Um, on my deep dive, I watched her perform Xanadu on. Uh, countdown um the mad the xanadu clip itself on there's so much roller skating around in that um that that um movie it's just she's just insane like what the stuff that she's done as an australian artist is just mind-blowing and like you know you say you shouldn't you know people get their cred but i don't know like has she got her cred four grammys that's like insane yeah i don't think she has got her cred um which is a real shame because i mean 
she's still going. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's still you know mm. out there fucking pushing hard. So, you know, perhaps was uh just by virtue of the fact that we liked her Instagram account, maybe that's gonna like flick the algorithm off, and <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then suddenly the, um, right. the overlords of uh, social media will be like, guys, quick. Breaking news. All Music is a Good podcast just liked ONJ's account. <laughs> Let's get moving. Get to work. I, I'm thinking spin-off podcast episode on ONJ. Oh, just, I, I reckon get her in. I reckon, I reckon let's put the challenge out there. Let's get her on. <laughs> let's get her on. I reckon I reckon it's doable. All you can do is ask. We can always ask. You know, what's yeah. the worst she can say? Yeah. I know. We asked you, you know? and you said yes. I mean, it, that's it's it. got to be about the same, I reckon. <laughs> that's right. I, d- I don't have four Grammys. <laughs> you don't have four Grammys, but that's cool. But you do – you are the – Young elder, and that in and of itself <laughs> is enough. is is enough for us. So, well, on that note, Eric, I think uh, we should uh, have a quick break and let our young elder um, refresh, and uh, we will <laughs> get into <laughs> we will get into tonight's albums. Just a moment. So our first album for the week is by American artist St. Vincent and the album is called Daddy's Home. Annie Erin Clark, born September 28, 1982, is known professionally as St. Vincent and is an American musician, singer-songwriter and producer. She began her music career as a member of the Polyphonic Spree. She was also a member of the Sufjan Stevens Touring Band before forming her own band in 2006. And before I go on... Uh, she did this uh, amazing interview on, um, I think it's a YouTube channel called either Hot Licks or um, Guitar Tricks. Let me just look it up. Um, YouTube, half a sec. Um, <laughs> really? Vincent. I'm more interested about the fact she played with Sufjan Stevens. And no, 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 wait Spirit. for it, wait for it, wait for it. Um, oh, it's called Guitar Moves is, uh, is, the, is the video. And get this. Her, she's also the niece of um, Tuck and Patty. So does anyone remember the group Tuck and Patty? Um, yeah, I saw them live a few times when I was a kid. Right, <laughs> right. There you go. Yeah. So uh, I don't know what the guitarist name was. I'm not sure if it was Tuck or Patty, but it was uh, it was Tuck. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a Tuck, Tuck and Patty so expert Tuck. here. On our hands, Eric. Yeah. So Tuck, I'm not, I just Tuck is her uncle. Don't talk yourself wow. down. So tomorrow. Tuck is. <laughs> yeah, so Tuck is Tuck is actually St. Vincent's uncle and taught her how to play guitar, which is pretty wild. Um, anyways, uh, moving on, her debut album is Marry Me uh, from 2007, followed by Actor in 2009, Strange Mercy in 2011, St. Vincent in 2014, Mass Education in 2017, and Daddy's Home in 2021, which is the album that we're reviewing this week. Um, just in relation to uh, critical acclaim in the past, her fourth album, St. Vincent, was released in 2014. It was named Album of the Year by The Guardian, Entertainment Weekly, Enemy, and Slant, as well as second best album of the year by Time, which begs the question... Yeah, what was the best? What did she become second best to? Yeah. So I'll have to look that up later. Yeah. What year? 2014. But I will say... 2014. So mm. what I will say is that um, that album from 2014 is, in my 
in my eyes, one of the best sounding records I've ever heard. It's uh, it's it's really, really remarkable. And um, the thing about Saint Vincent is she continues to level up in relation to the sound of her records. So, um, let's move on a little bit to uh, just some background about this album. Um, basically, uh, Annie Clark. Uh, writes about a past derelict New York, a place that, a place Los Angeles would suffocate in. This is um, taken from an interview about the record, mm. and she and she says the idea of New York, the art that came out of it, and my living there. She says, I've not given up my card. I don't feel in any way ready to renounce my New York citizenship. I bought an apartment, so I didn't have to renounce my citizenship. So I think she's moved to LA recently. Her down and out New York is one is one a true masochist would love and it's sleazy in excess. Sleaze is usually the thing men flaunt at a woman's expense. In 2021, the proverbial daddy in the title is Clark, but there's also a literal daddy and he came home in the winter of 2019. So this comes to a really, really interesting point, but um, from what I understand, uh, St. Vincent's dad was actually uh, locked up and arrested and um and she speaks a lot about that in the actual record i'm just trying to see where I, where it is in in the in this interview but um here we go uh nope lost it there um so daddy's home <laughs> began in new york at electric ladyland studios before covid hit and was finished in a studio in la she worked on it with jack antonoff who is known for producing well a host of records we've reviewed on this podcast? Oh yeah, Antonoff yep. produced Taylor Swift. He also produced Lana Del Rey's new record. So he's clearly the wonder boy of uh, of the studio world at the moment. Mm. Um, and uh, and th- and he was also part of the Mass Education record. And they and they say they found a women a winning formula pushing Clark's guitar oriented electronic universe to its poppiest maximum without compromising her ear- idiosyncrasies. She says, we're simpatico. He's a dream. He played the hell out of instruments on this record. He's crushing it on drums, crushing on Wurlitzer. Um, the pair let loose. They began with a holiday party, one of the warmest tracks Clark has ever written. So Antonoff played a whole got- bunch on this album, are you saying, Eric? Yeah, that's wow, right. Interesting. Um, and she, she speaks of an unspoken understanding with Antonoff as regards to the vibe. Familiar sounds, the opposite of my hands coming out of the speaker to choke you till you like it. This is not submission, just inviting. I can tell a story in a different way. Um, so, yeah, let's get into the record. Yeah. Uh, look, I always love reading about how Saint, uh, like the way St. Vincent r- talks about her own music. Um, she's, in my eyes, an, a, a true artist constantly evolving constantly like you can't you cannot say one St. Vincent record sounds like another mm. and this album here is yet another example so going into it um I've I've listened to this album three times this week and I can say this is definitely one of my my favorite albums of the year um but my caveat to that is I still can't pick a song that like I keep on returning to mm. it's more like a, just an overall sound and and universe that maybe it's an album Annie Clark builds it really is it's an album's album mm. um so pay your way in pain which is the first album the first song i loved how bent it is and it's just crazy cool and it's you know if there's ever a song that just kind of captures the spirit of this artist this kind of craziness is it and I, and i just loved pay your pay your way in pain um 
Daddy's Home was another standout for me. I love the tempo of it. Um, the mix and arrangement is wild. So just so uh, for a bit of background, I was listening to this originally on like a, a really awesome set of speakers, but it's like a one speaker box. So it's really hard to hear panning. Um, but then I popped it on in the studio and the whole mix from beginning to end is panning left and right. So there's like oh, wow. drums on the left, vocals on the right, flipping over, stuff in the middle. And it's just this constant evolution of where shit sits in the stereo image. And it's like, it doesn't feel nauseating or dizzy. It just sounds awesome. So I'd encourage to uh, anyone listening to this record, listen to Daddy's Home on a set of headphones and, and, and really get down with it. Um, I, I, I feel like St. Vincent's, it's kind of, her music is kind of like art pop in a way. It's like it, it, there's something always incredibly fresh and edgy about it, but it still sits, you know, within the art, within the pop world, say, in comparison to, you know, other records we've reviewed on this podcast. Um, uh, but again, I, I think Jack Antonoff, you know, has done a great job in, in realizing Annie Clark's vision here. I mean, she's credited as a co-producer and I think just by virtue of comparing it to her past work, you know, I would certainly say she's really driving the kind of sound and spirit of this album. And then my favourite song of the record was called Live in the Dream. Um, it, it was really very Bowie-esque and also with mm-hmm. a bit of a tinge of like Lou Reed and it kind of sits in this really kind of tight little spot and then at about 3 minutes 40 it opens up and it just explodes and I loved it. So... I loved this record. Um, I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. Uh, who wants to go next? Are you happy if I do, Tam? I'll go next. Oh, no, you go. You go. Definitely <laughs> yeah, you go. You, go you, for you it. Go, Tam. You go tomorrow. I'll dive go in. for it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it was really interesting in terms of the way this whole album's put together. Like heaps of the tracks are really, really different from each other and that art pop, art pop sensibility is really a strong... Um, identifier of St Vincent you know I think she has a lot of integrity as an artist and and I think she takes risks which I think is really cool I think Mm. a lot of pop artists don't really um, have the guts to do that and she goes for a lot of stuff and um, I I was really uh, as soon as the album opened I was like that first one um, Pay Away in Pain I was like oh all those harmonies I'm like it's Bowie you can just hear David Bowie and all that stuff. And that track, like Living the Dream for me was like as soon as it starts, I'm like, it's the Beatles. To me it just yeah. sounded yeah. so much like the Beatles. There's even sitar on it and yeah. all that stuff. Mm. You know, it's really in there. And there's bits of the blues but then there's like synthy bits with analogue, you know, sounds mixed in. And and then she's got these, you know, classic old school sort of jazz effects like 90s chorus pedal sounds on, on some guitar yeah. solos and stuff. Um, like there's just so much stuff going on, but each track is sort of homogenous in its own identity, which I thought was really cool. Um, and all the the grooves I really liked on the album too. Like there's some really kooky things, um, great sonic choices as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And some really good examples of like where, you know, the essence of the tune is really cool. Like there's one track that like that first one has this really kooky sort of groove, but then later on there's a track that's sort of a bit like the ghetto sort of vibes. Um, But then there's some tracks later on where they do really use the studio a lot more and you get these great post-production sort of techniques in there where there's this really creative uses of reverb over the whole track and stuff too, which was cool. What, what did you think of the drum? What did you What did you think of the drum sound? 
Tamara, did that pop out to you? Because there's something for me that when I hear those drums, you know, it has that, maybe that, you know, some of that often reminds me of the Beatles, like that real kind of heavy, thick snare sound. Um, Yeah, totally. Yeah. It didn't, Mm. it didn't jump out like in the way there's, there's some other albums like, um, you know, there's a, it's totally a total aside, but you know that Solange track, um, Cranes in the Sky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like it's such a great song. It's so simple, but the bass drum sound on that, like when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, that mm. bass drum's amazing. Mm. <laughs> and mm, like, yeah. I like drums. You know, it's cool. I play with drummers all the time and I, I feel like I know a bit about them, but I don't usually go gaga over certain things. But when I heard that Solange track, I was like, oh my God, that's so incredible. <laughs> that bass drum, like but just the true. bass drum. <laughs> you know. It's a, it's 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 amazing though that like what one drum can actually do to kind of hook you into a record. Like, you know, you say like you know that that kick sound in the Solange track sort of grabbed you. For me, you know, I'm I you know like a like a well recorded tom and snare to me always. I'm just like, oh my god, I need to hear more. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's an it's an interesting thing. As an aside on that um yeah. on that Solange track, like there's a there's a podcast somewhere out there. Can't remember where it is, but um, it's basically talks nonstop about that one track, um, and about Raphael Sadiq recorded that track, um, or wrote it, and um, and it's just incredible, like that that song. Hey, I might I might take over and, and go for my one if that's okay, Eric. Yeah, absolutely, go for it. Um, so like like a bunch, and we'll come back to we'll come back to um tomorrow in a second because I think she just dropped out. Um, like a bunch of albums we've looked at, um, St. Vincent's, St. Vincent, <laughs> like it's another one of those bands that I, I've heard of but I've never really listened to them. And and my only experience, like which which makes me sad actually, um, and we were doing this album because Jules suggested it last week and he'd suggested it really late and we didn't get to it. But um, my only experience of Annie Clark is when she sang Lithium at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame oh, yeah. um, for Nirvana. Yep. And I wasn't a massive fan of the rendition, but regardless, like I, I was just coming in so green on this album, um, which, as we know, is always the best the best way to do it. Um, and, like, um, I know I think Tam's back, but we'll get to her in a second. Um, look, um, as you guys both said, um, Pay Your Way in Pain, like Electro Funky, I also got the Bowie-esque sort of vibes. I was also getting Prince Prince vibes with the guitar um, on it and, you know, weird, artsy and cool and I liked it a lot. Um, track two equally is interesting and weird and straight away like, I'm getting the vibe that's... I just I just got the vibe like two tracks in that this is going to be a proper album, like an album album, as you said, Arik. Um, uh, and that was really obvious from the start. Um, it was starting to remind me a bit of the Fiona Apple album we looked at last year. Um um, yep. and it just felt like a great example of like free and true artistic expression, I thought, um, and had, you know, I just was getting references of West coast seventies country rock albums crossed with sort of, you know, Fleetwood Mac and, and as Tamara said, like the Beatles influences as well, all that sort of, sort of West coast seventies psychedelica coming through. Um, I loved live in a dream, um, track eight, what was track eight again? Um, what was that one that had um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight down that had that more the more Prince Ice um, vibes as well, and then that that song went into like a really Tori Amos style chorus, um, 
and then I sort of was starting to think about that. And I'm like, her voice has got a real Tori Amos sort of vibe to it as well. I don't know if you 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 got that at all. Um, just in the way that she delivers her melody. Um, I really liked the country esque track ten, somebody like me, and tw- track twelve at the holiday park. Um, like you know, lyrically, there's a lot of exploration of the theme of of children, and and maybe more accurately her not having a child and being forced to justify it. Um, Look, I've only given it two spins. I wish I had have listened to this a heap more this week. There's so many interesting things going on um, with this album. Um, The melodic bass playing, um, in Melting of the Sun, the interesting chord choices, the mix, the arrangements. There's so much love, care and attention to detail put into this album and um, Antonoff has just given a, a stellar mix that makes it all work, yep. um, and it, and it feels like things are have their place. Um, and at the same time, everything has its place, and then her voice just floats over the top, tying it all together. So I just thought the songwriting was gold. The songs were interesting, and it just makes me want to just jump back in, and you know, get a whole lot more of it. I did notice after I'd listened to it a couple of times, I just sort of had a look through a few articles and I did have to see the Pitchfork review that gave it a 6.7 and it had a out whole... Out of? Out of 10. And it okay. had a whole lot of issues around her lyrical content and some of the lyrics. Um, and that they were a Christ. bit... Uh, they were a bit contradictory. I mean, who even, who even knows anymore any of this yeah. sort of stuff? Um, look, there, there's a warmness to this album. I want to explore it more. I just found it gratifying. I'm just going to keep going back and back to this album. I loved it a lot. Um, Tamara, you dropped out before um, I took over. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about this album? Um, yeah, look, I, I think I think you pretty much said, like I pretty much agree with what you're saying. Like the songwriting I think is uh, generally good. I think some songs do work better than others. Um, as as pieces, you know, personally, and look, I I liked this album a lot. Like, I didn't, it didn't totally, um, uh, like it, I wouldn't. It's not my favorite album I've ever heard, but I would say that there's a lot of stuff in here, like you said, that do make me want to go back to it. And I really like that in an album where it's not all revealed in the first listen, and there's enough there that you find something new each time you go back to it. There is a lot. There is a lot to dig into, isn't there? I'm actually just having a look here. Um, as to who mixed the record, and it the the mix engineer's name is Sean Riordan. That's an LA mix. Yeah, let's hit him up next week for our next single album, Eric. Well, I mean, you know, like looking at the um, like his uh, his um, his resume, like Saint Vincent, uh, he's got on his website. Then he's got um, Slater Kinney, which is the the other the the other the the, uh, the next most recent mix he's done. Then Paul McCartney. What? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Paul McCartney imagined. Uh, and right. then like a whole bunch of, and then what have we got here? Uh, like, yeah, some real no names as well. Um, so kind of feel like he's kind of on the up. Um, hmm. It's a, yeah, just an in- interesting, interesting choice of engineer because, you know, she's had such great people working on her records in the past. I think it makes sense though. I think that makes sense. Cause if you wanted like, if, if you're getting McCartney's engineer to do something, um, then <laughs> what, what are you laughing at? Eric? Uh, if you're getting McCartney, to no, do something, I mean, she goes, she got, she got, she got, she got McCartney's think, mix engineer. 
because that's sort of like a sort of 70s sort of, you know, um, references. Yep. And I'm guessing that's analog. And um, I just reckon she made the right choice for the album that she made. Maybe it wasn't her yep. choice. Who knows? 100%. But maybe Antonoff called in the favour. I don't know. But everything about this album works for me um, on a generally really high level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just actually kind of curious to, to see who mixed her last uh, record. It was oh, a different <laughs> album altogether. It was no, just, but it's just I mean, like she, it's so brilliant. It sounds so fucking good that I'm really curious to know uh, if um, if she's using you know if she's going back to the same team or not. But she's not. So like power to her as an artist. She's the driving force on the sound. You know what I mean? It's not the engineers. Like, like the consistency is coming because whatever she's bringing to the table, she knows what she's doing. Well, she's um, a freaking great songwriter. Like, it's the song and a are brilliant great. musician. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's. Uh, should we go? Should we move on to scoring it? Let's score it. All right. Well, every week on the All Music Is Good podcast, we like to shout out our unofficial podcast sponsor. The unofficial podcast sponsor, uh, basically has no un, no knowledge of their involvement in this podcast, contributes nothing to this podcast. However, uh, we love to just celebrate, you know, them and everything that they've contributed to us as podcast hosts and podcast celebrity guests. Um, so, without further ado, to, without further ado, let us introduce this week's unofficial podcast sponsor. Mm. Keanu Reeves one-liners circa 1991 to 1999, a time <laughs> when the Hollywood Writers Guild was fully unionised and <laughs> and really chugging things out at a quality capital K. <laughs> yes. So was this like post? Was this post Bill and Ted's Burgers Journey or like what? What are we talking post, here? Post, post Bill and Ted's. But it's got to be in, in Point post Break. Post Bill and Ted's Point Break journey. was in there. Oh, yeah, Correct. Point Break. Oh. Tamara has <laughs> nailed it. Tamara's absolutely nailed it. Are we celebrating 20 years of Point Break at the moment? Uh, we probably are celebrating I think 20 we years are. of Point Break. And, and I actually watched Point Break uh, on the weekend for the first time in like 10 years. And let me tell what you, it movie. is just as good now. It, it was just as good now so good. as it was back then. So to kind of... Um, Tomorrow agrees. To obviously. kind yeah. of, uh, to kind, yeah. Tomorrow agrees. I guess this is a really friendly audience for this rating scale. But I thought what I'd what I'd do is uh, just give you guys a little bit of um, a little bit of context. Basically, this week we are celebrating Keanu Reeves one-liners circa 1991 to 1999, and I've I've gone back and 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 found the best of the best. So I thought oh. I'd just give you guys some. And show yes. a little bit of a progression, a progression from '91 to 1999. So we're going to start with '91, um, and uh, well, yeah. In fact, I'm going to play both the parts of <laughs> Johnny Utah and um, and whatever Gary Busey played. So let's we're going to go for it here. Um, here we go. I love Gary Busey. Maybe you should just retire, get some rent-a-car job, <laughs> and tell Nam stories. Listen. I was taking shrapnel and nom while you were crapping in your hands. You mad? Yeah, mad. Good, mad. Yeah. What you want to do about it? Feels good. Like you're still alive. Yeah. Well, since you're still alive and you're not in the box just yet, 
why don't you tell me this theory of yours? We'll go get these guys. <laughs> so I thought those were some really was, quality sorry, lines. Sorry, that, that was so good. More. The delivery yeah, was excellent. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that was too high quality for that movie. So oh, I, I think you need to. Whoa, 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 Thank whoa, you. Whoa, whoa, just settle down. I've, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I've got that's a couple classic more. technique there. <laughs> I've got a couple more. Um, I've been to every city in Mexico. Came across an unclaimed piece of meat in Baja. <laughs> turned out to be Rosie. Guess he picked a knife fight with somebody better. Found a passport of yours in Sumatra. Missed you by about a week in Fiji. But I knew you wouldn't miss a 50-year storm, Bodie. You crossed the line. People trusted you and they died. I don't care. You gotta go down. It's gotta be that way. Yeah. So, you know, all really, really good lines. Then that was 1991. Um, oh, can we stop there? Can on... we just make the rating scale out of the 50-foot wave? Come on. The 50-year storm. No, the 50-foot, the 50-foot, 50-year storm. But look, I want to just, I just really need, like we can go back to the rating scale in a minute, but I just want to acknowledge either the evolution of Keanu's one-liners or the complete stasis because we move on to uh, Speed, which is another one of the great, w- greatly well-written scripts of our era. And this is a conversation between Jeff Daniels and Keanu Reeves. I just feel like I need to apologise to Tamara in advance because Arik takes this rating scale very seriously. So this could <laughs> I'm having a great possibly time. go on for another I'm 10 minutes. So, happy. so if you need to go get a beer or something, <laughs> go and get it. <laughs> go, so Jeff Daniels... All right, pop quiz. Airport, gunman with one hostage. He's using her for cover. He's almost to a plane. You're 100 feet away, Jack. And then Keanu goes, shoot the hostage. And it's just like, ugh, knockout line. Um, (laughs) Next one. Um, It's a game. If he gets the money, he wins. If the bus blows up, he wins. And then Sandra Bullock says, what if you win? And then Keanu Reeves says, then tomorrow we'll play another one. And it's just, you know, gold. great lines. All gold. Um, then, yeah. uh, like, uh, something that was slept on, I mean, I'm not going to do, I mean, do, I mean, no, I will do. We've got, I mean, we control the content. So I'm going to I'm gonna go to one <laughs> of the really underpraised Keanu films, which is Devil's Advocate starring Al Pacino, a movie oh. where Al Pacino actually, <laughs> yes. Al, pa- Al Pacino at some point. It's so weird. Al Pacino at some point went from like Oscar winning actor to guy that screams all the whole film. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. whole film he's just yelling and screaming. I think it was um Scent of, well. of a Woman. Charlie's mm. Theron's in it. I think Scent of a Woman was like the kind of tipping point for Al Pacino where he's like, Yeah. I'm just gonna scream all my lines from here on in. And Devil's Advocate was like, honest to God, it was like Pacino screaming and Keanu saying great lines like the following. I reckon that got sorry. That, that was kind of, sorry, Eric. That went well for the first half a movie, Devil's Advocate, and then yeah. then it just went. Yeah, yeah, and the then cliff. it just got fucking weird. Yeah, sorry, sorry, turned. Yeah, up. so get this for like great, great uh, Hollywood writing. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I know you've spent all morning listening to Mr. Brugo talk. I know you're hungry. What I need to tell you won't take very long at all. I don't like Alexander Cullen. I don't think he's a nice person. I don't expect you to like him. He's been a terrible husband to all three of his wives. He's been a destructive force in the lives of his stepchildren. 
He's cheated the city, his partner, his employees. He's paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in penalties and fines over the years. I don't like him. I'm going to tell you some things during the course of this trial that are going to make you like him even less. But this isn't a popularity contest. It's a murder trial. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Great. Gold, and then and then to, no, look, no, no, to no. round that's, it out, no, no, that's enough. <laughs> that's got to be enough. To round it out, that's nineteen ninety five, and again, it just gets better and better. Nineteen ninety nine Matrix, which I watched on Saturday. Um, listen to these. I'm going to just give you three great one liners. This one, okay. when he goes, "How about I give you the finger and you give me my phone call?" Yeah, yeah. Like Good. that's a great line. And then and then you know, I know kung fu and <laughs> guns. That's a guns. So, anyways. This week's All Music is Good unofficial podcast sponsor <laughs> is Keanu Reeves One Liners, circa 91 to 99. Let's go and find a good rating scale. I mean, there's a lot in there, guys. Well, I, I'm just going to go back to the 50-year storm. I mean, that is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. So any any rating scale out of 50 works for me. What about you? Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll yeah. go with that. We'll go we'll go the fifty year storm. So, <laughs> so the fifty year storm being fifty is a good score or a bad. <laughs> so fifty is the most epic wave of all time. Uh, so. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, cool. I'm I'm down with that. When's he coming all back? Right, so when's he coming back? <laughs> yeah, he's coming back. He's not coming back. <laughs> um, um. All right. So, uh, I might go first. Um. Look, for me, I would say this is uh definitely a forty out of fifty. Um, it's just great. It's a great album. I feel like it's going to be a grower all year. I think I'm going to continue to revisit it, and I loved it. 40, 40 out of potential 50-year storm. What about you, Tamara? Tamara? Oh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I reckon I'm around the same, maybe a, just a tiny bit lower because I, like, I really liked it, but I didn't completely – like it didn't completely blow my mind. But same thing, I feel like I just want to go back and listen to it, which for me – doesn't happen a whole lot. So I reckon I could go slightly lower, maybe like 38 out of 50. All right. 38 out of 50 from Tamara. What's up? I'm going to go 42 and a half on the 50-year storm rating scale. I just thought this is really, really good. Really good. I know. And I, I, I may come back to it and give it less, but right now I'm just, I loved it a lot. And as we talked about, like you come in green on albums where you don't know anything about them, and sometimes they can just really hit you with no expectations. So I loved it. So that's um a thirty-eight from Tamara, forty for Marek, and a forty-two and a half on the fifty-year ratings, fifty-year storm <laughs> rating scale. We'll be back in a sec with our second album. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh yeah, shit. I get my weed from California. That's that shit. I took my chick up to the north, yeah. Badass bitch. I get my light right from the source, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I see you. Oh, oh. The way I breathe you in. Hey. It's the texture of your skin. Hey. I wanna wrap my arms around you, baby. Never let you go. Okay, our second album for the week is from Canadian artist Justin Bieber, and the album is titled Justice. 
So, Justin Drew Bieber, born March 1994, is a Canadian singer-songwriter. Well, it's interesting. On Wikipedia, they call him a singer and not a songwriter. That's a bit harsh. <laughs> um, he was discovered by American record executive Scooter Braun and signed to RBMG Records in 2008, gaining recognition with the release of his debut EP, My World, 2009, and soon establishing himself as a teen idol. Um, let's just fast forward and go to February 26, 2021. Bieber officially announced that his sixth studio album was to be called Justice and would be re- released on March 19th. On March 5th, Bieber released the album's fourth single, Hold On. Justice was released on the 19th of March to generally positive reviews. The fifth single, Peaches, was released... Well, that's interesting. I sh- we should just skim over that. The fifth single, Peaches, was released on March 30. 2021 so basically within 11 sorry like 11 days five singles had already come out from that record justice debuted at number one in the billboard 200 becoming bieber's eight number one project while peaches debuted at number one on the billboard hot 100 becoming his seventh number one single as a result bieber became the first solo male artist in history to simultaneously debut at number one on both billboard hot 100 and billboard 200 charts he joins only bts and taylor swift in having achieved this feat which makes me think this is like a new thing anyways because like i don't know has he started two cult films and won four grammys though (laughs) yeah well that's right that's right exactly and 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 did he compete in euro uh, did he compete in eurovision um no could canada compete in in uh I guess they're ex-commonwealth. Montreal, they Montreal, Mon- Montreal, yeah. Montreal, Quebec. Quebec could compete, surely, you know? Quebec's um, its own thing anyways. I'm not sure if any of you guys have gone and hung out, you know, in Quebec when you no. go between Montreal and... <laughs> Are you going to tell us a really weird six degrees oh, separation yeah, story I was Justin there, Bieber? Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, I was there, um, I was there during the ice hockey playoffs... And, you know, what was apparently, like, the most exciting time in the world. And I was like, this fucking place is shit. Anyways, um, <laughs> let's continue. Bieber. <laughs> Bieber has enlisted a global coterie of guests, all yeah. male, for yep. this latest offering. Hmm. Um, Burner Boy re- represents Nigeria on the Skrillex-produced Loved By You. And then Bieber says, that's my favorite style right now. I'm loving the African beats. It makes you want to move and people need to move. Whilst Kingston, Jamaica-born Beam brings the cool island sound to Love You Different. And then here we go to some quotes. What I wanted to do with this was amplify Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s voice to this generation, Bieber explained. Being Canadian, it wasn't so much a part of my culture this speech because I use a, the uh, uh, um, uh, Martin Luther King speech in the in the record. This speech was actually during the time when he had a feeling that he was going to die for the cause, and what he was standing up against was ultimately racism and division. I think his message was that a lot of people can be afraid to stand up for what is right, but if you're not standing up for justice for what is right, what are you doing with your life? I'm sorry to get so deep. Do we want? To, are we going to go there? Do we want to go there straight away? Like, like no, no, no. Let's get. No, just give me a minute. Give me a minute. Um. Uh. Yeah. No. Let's go there. Go, was go. You go. Or do you want me to go? Or uh, tomorrow? Do you want to go? I mean, someone I go. Think someone else should go. Uh, before like, me. if we're gonna, <laughs> if we're gonna talk right, about I'll, the MLK uh, stuff, 
stuff. Like, maybe we just save that for a yeah. little bit. Yeah, let me go. I'll go. So, like, I reckon five years ago, Arik, if you had a typed Justin into Spotify, what would have come up? Uh, Justin Madden. <laughs> That's the, Justin Benji. No. Is it? Isn't it Benji Madden? Sorry, I thought you meant Google. No, Justin. no, into into, so into Spotify. Oh, right. Sorry. Would have come up with Justin, Justin Bieber? Timberlake would... T- Timberlake would have come. Justin Timberlake would have come up. Is Justin Timberlake bigger than Justin Bieber? I don't know, but I no, t- he's I, not. I, not even close. I put in Justin into Spotify, and it came up with Justin Timberlake, and that surprised me. Oh wow! But okay, that, maybe that is that an indication of that he's just not as hot uh, globally as he once was, or like maybe the the Bieber army just doesn't have the pull that it once does. Eric, I don't know. Yeah, um, perhaps. Don't know. Like, we, like I, I always thought the Bieber was like an arrogant little shit, and and it wasn't that he just made derivative music, um, you know, for the teenage market. Like, and we're all like, obviously, we're always going to have pop idols and pop music, and we're always going to have a cycle of these idols and that young girls and young guys relate to, and as they grow up, the effectiveness and and the power of these idols like invariably wanes. I think. And then they sort of fade into sort of obscurity. Um, and I think like the advent of like um, like um, the internet and, and, and things like that and the connectiveness um, means that, you know, their power do- doesn't want as much as it, as it did because they sort of, they've got the ability to sort of invade like every bedroom and every phone and every country across the globe. So like the saturation is like totally complete, and like this generation of pop stars like Bieber and Taylor Swift and Katy Perry and Ariana Grande and all these people like have like these really long careers as a result. Um, for me, like with Bieber, like something happened with that 2015 Purpose album, with and the songs were like "What Do You Mean" and "Sorry." I don't know if you know those songs, but there was like subtle hints to 80s oh. melodic pop. Um, was sorry the one he did with Ed Sheeran? Yes, yes, and the it was so- a really good song. Yes, the songs were ridic- these two songs in particular were ridiculously catchy and very cleverly written, yeah. um, and yeah. they were constructed really were, well. Um, I think they were both. And written so while by I Ed thought Sheeran. he was, they possibly were, but while I thought he was an arrogant yeah. prat, like I really liked those songs, and I just thought they were perfectly mm. crafted pop songs. Um, so I'm yeah. going to lay down that caveat. Um, so that's what I was thinking when I came to about listening to this album. So, like, do you reckon, like, if you throw enough money at like at a, at a modern R and B album, like, you can't not hit? Like, like, just say tomorrow. Like, if if we were to like get Justin Bieber's producers on your next like Spirograph album, do you reckon it like would just be like a, like a complete hit? Um, I there's I have a lot of things to say about this album. <laughs> no, I don't think I can. I can't. I don't know how to answer that. Without totally destroying don't. a lot of things. Um, well, why don't look, you? Possibly, why don't you? Why don't well, you? Get, why don't you get in, get in the wrecking ball? I'm and gonna just, get in there. Begin. Okay. So, Go like, I, I like. By the way, I just want to say same thing. Like, I've got a caveat of like, I really love a beautifully constructed pop tune. Like, I'm totally. Yes. I know I play a lot of jazz and stuff, but I am not elitist at all in the music that I love. You know, I just like good music. I don't care what it is. And if it's a good just song, made, is a good song. Yeah, regardless. good song's a good song, and also yeah. honesty, I think, counts for something. Um, and yes. you know, like a simple, yeah. great tune can be so amazing. But even a beautifully, like heaps of post production when it's done, 
really cleverly is just so wonderful. And I felt like this album was processed to within an inch of its life. There were so many writers mm. on so many tracks that it just had no personality. The whole thing, there's like 22 fucking yeah. tracks on it, by the way, that were like, two, uh, yeah. like I was looking yeah. at it on Spotify. So I think different album releases had a different amount of tracks, but the one I listened to had 22 tracks. And a lot of it was just like the actual songwriting devices on it were fairly, I found it fairly um, unmemorable, I reckon. And a lot of them, like his mm, voice. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good Yeah, and all of the um, heaps of the tracks too, like even the way it was produced, everything's compressed again to within an inch of its life so that there was no spatial awareness. Everything's right up the front. It was just really flat. Mm. I just wasn't really taken anywhere interesting sonically. Um, I just found it completely unengaging. And also heaps of the songs are about love in this really fairly generic way that was like it was trying to be mm. personal but at the end of the day I just felt like it was lip service and I just was – I felt com- I felt stupider after listening to this album, which I know sounds really <laughs> yeah. bad. It wasn't believable, was it? I didn't believe it. Was it was not but, believable. But, it wasn't but there were a couple of little bits in it that jumped out to me. Like there were so many writers and, and no development of material too. Like it had just – each song was basically sort of a bit of a melodic chorus – that wasn't really that interesting and mm. then just repeated over and over and then that was the song. So there was no like bridge or like development of the compositional material that actually drew you in as a listener, you know. But there was that track Hold On where you could totally hear I was – when I was listening to it I was like, whoa, what is this? And I Googled it and um, Wally DeBacco partly wrote that track and you can completely oh, hear wow. – you can totally hear his influence wow. like in, in both wow. like the chorus and the melody and even in the grooves in like the pre-chorus and the chorus. It's like you can just wow. hear that thing. It's just so it's so him. And I reckon there's a couple of tracks where there's elements of Michael Jackson in the production like in Die For You and stuff. Um, but all of them were just felt completely generic wow. and just had no – there was just no risks taken at all in this album. And so I just, I just feel no risk, no reward, you know, I just was really unimpressed. Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a question for you, Tamara. Um, so, and, and I think, you know, I, I completely agree, uh, specifically lyrically, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, you don't feel like, like you're learning anything about, his personality, mm. like it's 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 just it's just words filling in gaps in arrangement. Um, but 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 I but I would I would say that that might be like easily said from us as people that haven't had his lived experience. Um, but you know he might legit think that his words legitimately mean something, and <laughs> it got me thinking about the fact that he's a child star. So you know, like basically the by the time he was. Well, by the time he was like cognizant of feelings and emotions, um, his entire life was just filled with enablers and performances mm. and Hollywood. And it made me kind of start to think like, you know, we kind of shit on someone like Bieber for writing like really crappy lyrics. But then I kind of think of like Michael Jackson um, who lived a similarly kind of show business life. And I started to think to myself like Thriller – Apart from Billie Jean, which is like a masterpiece, um, and The Girl Is Mine, which is also, you know, well, arguably problematic, but still, you know, uh, it's a, you know. What are you about to say here? No. You're about to say something really stupid? Uh, are you about to say <laughs> no, there's only two good say... songs on Thriller? 
No, no, no. But what I'm trying to say is like, like typically Michael Jackson's lyrical content was also rubbish, but we didn't hold him to the same standard. Yeah, because the like, songs are so, so good. Yeah. Okay. So, so do you reckon then, like, take like if these were better, better performed songs with cooler production and more cutting edge, blah blah blah, would we give the lyrics more of a pass? Well, I, and that's a that's a question. No, more no. Tomorrow. Well, part of my issue was this with this was the fact that the compositional material, like the melody, the way the songs were actually constructed, was just it just they're all sort of uh, musical cul-de-sacs. Like they didn't really go anywhere. They yeah. sort of like they started doing a thing, <laughs> and then they <laughs> then they just sort of stayed there and just kept repeating it over and over. There was one track too. Like there was a couple of tracks that were exceptions, like that hold on track with Wally DeBacca writing. You could hear his thing, but. The Funnily enough, it's funny that you mentioned that because like there's that track Lonely, which is an exception to the other tracks in that it did feel more honest to me where he's talking about his experience, you know, about, you know, mm. being successful when he was young. But it's that tricky thing though where even though it felt really honest and actually the production on that track was quite nice too. In fact, I think Phineas was involved with that track uh, with some of the post-production. But right. um but the, <laughs> the but the sort of main uh, you know plot point was it's been really hard for me because I've been so successful and so rich from such a young age and so if, <laughs> I have yeah. had a little trouble digging up sympathy <laughs> for him but it was that thing yeah. where as an artist at least it was honest like for me that was one of the only yeah. tracks that's like actually I feel like this is actually your voice and it's you know it's not a common story and I'm finding hard trouble finding sympathy for you. But um, but it, it actually did feel more authentic than the other tracks on the album. Um, and so that was actually nice to listen to in, in that way, I guess. Um, also, actually, I liked the last track on the album too, which is just really simple with um, – there was Lonely. like uh, – No, no. Well, there was one There was one that was a duo Anyone. one. Um, it's called Name. With Benny Blanco. No, no. There's one called oh. Name with Tori Kelly. It's like a little duo one. Did you listen to the – did you listen to the triple – Chuck Deluxe version? I, I must have. It was there's like a you gazillion must, tracks oh, you did. on it. Chuck Deluxe. <laughs> yes, you listened listen to the Deluxe version. Oh, oh yeah. So poor. Um, Good on you. Good <laughs> on tomorrow. Yeah, I, I didn't. Tamara, I, poor tomorrow is like. I didn't listen to it twice. Gets extra I only points. Listened to it once. I have to say. <laughs> tomorrow gets extra points because. Yeah, tomorrow the album that we listened to only ran sixteen. <laughs> so. Still a lot of tracks. Sixteen minutes. Oh, what? Sixteen minutes. <laughs> You're kidding. No, we're oh, good. No, no, 16 I was going to say, you owe me many beers. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> hey, um, hey, can we can we just go there for a second? Can we talk about this Martin yeah. Luther King sample? Because, mm. like, I listened to it and I heard it. And as soon as I heard it, like, alarm bells are just going off in my head. Yeah. That, like, however well-intentioned, you know, JB might have been, like, someone with such excessive white privilege is just going to run up against all sorts of issues putting Martha Luton King samples in. And it sounded wrong. It sounded out of place. And the cynic in me was cringing. And, like, just to highlight how badly placed it was, after the sample finished, I don't know if you listened, but um, the next song, the lyrics were, she's a stranger. Uh, this, this beautiful Martin Luther King sample and speech finished and then he started with, She's a stranger to the night shift, the type you only dream about. I was lost under the lights, an angel in the flame. She pulled me out. And I just like, 
what the fuck, man? Like, seriously, <laughs> like, how fuck? do you go from Martin Luther King to a song about dying for a girl that you're in love with? Mm. Like, like the simple answer is you just don't. And you just don't. like from that point on, I'm just like, fuck you, Bieber. Like, this is this was like like a really outrageous misstep from me. I didn't I didn't like it. Um, and like I just started thinking about like like. I think there's like there was a time from like maybe like the 1950s to the 90s like before music became so uber uber corporatized that like like music and musicians would drive culture and cultural change but it's that doesn't happen anymore like it's gotten to this stage now that like revolutionary like music revolutionaries like are dead in popular culture and like it's like people like people are so scared that the money tap's going to be turned off that they don't say anything it's like up to basketballers like LeBron James who like are driving like change at like that hyper celebrity levels, not like people like Jay Z and Drake. It's just it's fucking making me angry, dude. So sorry, sorry, diatribe. But, no, no, um, no, 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 for, no, no, like, no. I think you. I mean, like, like, I, like, I totally agree with you. I think my. I mean, to kind of go like go to what you said. So often it seems as though, especially with these pop, more pop based artists, they're actually just kind of responding to a zeitgeist as opposed to setting the yeah, zeitgeist. They don't. Yeah. And I think and I think this is a really, really good example. And I mean even the way Bieber talks about it, like it's fundamentally like he's just fucking fishing for a for a line that kind of gives him some relevance in the space of like political activism. And it's so embarrassing and properly it's cringeworthy. It's so cringy. It's so cringeworthy. It's so cringeworthy. Like I'm just, I'm just completely bewildered. Like you know, you think about Taylor Swift as someone who consistently apologizes for standing for anything. Yeah. And then you've got Bieber, kind of saying in here about like why he used the MLK reference, and he says. Yeah, I read it. I read the um, same article, Eric. Yeah, you know, and then people he need knows, to be I'm aware. Sorry, I'm so, I'm sorry to get so deep. It's like, bro, that's not deep. That's like you read, like you read Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah. Look, so you like, know, but which, which, which I should say is, you know, is what we do every week. Really, <laughs> is really deep. I mean, but at least he's trying. <laughs> I guess is the upside too. Like I've got to say, like yes, as someone who's been is. in a that's bubble true. for a, a very long time, like. Uh, you know, I, the, what is that uh, Fran Lebowitz quote to teenagers? Something about read before you think or something where I just feel like he needs to go and yeah, right. he just needs to go and yeah. read a bit and be in the world and actually not be in his bubble and actually educate himself. And maybe this is a bit of a clumsy He's not attempt. young though, Tamara. I know, but he's, again, he's a, he's in this yes man bubble of people who are, yeah. uh, you know, so, I, I mean, I imagine, I can only, I can only imagine. I'm certainly not in one oh, of look, those. Yeah. I, I definitely, I, I'm certainly an apologist for these things. I definitely can always see both sides, but I'm just like, nah, I'm not, I'm not having it with this one. This is, this is ridiculous. Um, it's so very clumsy. Taking stand yeah, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, It was, it was clumsy. Good on it's you. like, no, like you should know better. Come on. Um, so like after I heard that from that point on, I was just flicking through looking for a pop banger. Um, you know, you yeah. know what? Like a karaoke favorite. That in three years' time, you and I will be drunk uh, and singing, like at the top <laughs> of our voices, Eric. Um, so I thought yep, yep, the yep. R and B joint Peaches was a little bit hooky, um, and the song yep. Anyone, which on the non-deluxe version was the second last track, 
Um, and I just thought that could have been, <laughs> I just thought that could have been in a, like a teen romance movie montage, you know, just like after the breakup before they get back together scene. And then, and then the chorus was, you are the only one I've ever loved. And then like, bam, kiss, fireworks, dancing at the prom after party. It was that, that's what that song was. I thought, eh, that's, you know, maybe, but if you look on the Spotify metrics, guys, like all these songs, those five singles have had... <laughs> 500 million half, plays, a bi- half, a half a billion a, plays yeah, each. Half a, oh, half a billion, half a billion each. Oh, we're all going to die. Mind-boggling. Yeah, the planet's fucked. Yeah. We're all going to die. The, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> I have no hope. I mean, how much, that, like, how much actual, I mean, that's an interesting metric as well. Like how much um, uh, like fossil fuels have gone into 460 <laughs> million streams? You that's mean, just well, too much energy. 2.5 billion if you want to ca- accumulate them up yeah 2.5 but yeah that's just absolutely ridiculous i'm sorry i can't i mean def jam recordings who owns def jam is that um uh what's his name um um is, is that ivan no no um um what's his name uh jimmy ivan no the um oh god yep uh yeah okay no, uh, it's Ivan. Doing my head in. no it's not it's the other guy def jam let's uh, 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 not doc, not doc, not oh, Doctor. The other, I don't the, fucking know. It's it's. Da- uh, Gene Simmons. No, not, not Simmons. Richard oh, Simmons. Rick. Uh, Russell. Russell Simmons Russell and Simmons. Rick Rubin. Russell Simmons. No, Rick Rubin Man. doesn't anymore. He's sold imagine, out. Russell Simmons. Okay. Imagine, uh, imagine owning Def Jam records <laughs> and going in in a month. We got two point five billion streams. No, no, in a week. Happy with that? Yeah. yeah. So, and also, hey, look, what about a shout out to the Kid Leroy as well, who had a song on there? Who's a shout out to Kid Leroy as well. So that's pretty big for him. Huge. And he was also on uh, Saturday Night Live with Miley Cyrus a couple of weeks ago as well, which is crazy. He's crushing it. But look, I mean, a pretty meek forty-seven million streams for the Kid Leroy song. So you know, whatever. I guess so. Yeah. Um, Anything else? To I might say go to tomorrow? my review. Oh, sorry. Uh, so well, I, haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done my bit yet. So, look, um, uh, for me, somebody felt like the best song. I don't, I don't remember what your what your take on somebody was, but I thought that was really cool um, as a song and a vibe. It had a good groove, um, and it was one of the only songs that didn't feel like it was trying to be something it wasn't, which is the case for every other song on the album. Um, Skrillex produced that song, which I was like, "What the hell is going on here?" <laughs> um, for first track, too much. I thought it was a good song, good, good, nice piano sound, and you know, nice chords. And then uh, Peaches, um, yeah, Peaches is okay. Peaches, it's hooky. Peaches was okay. Peaches was okay, but that Burner Boy Afrobeats song, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, just no, and um, just like. The only good thing about that track was Burner Boy. Everything else was absolute rubbish. And and it was also produced by Skrillex. Like, what the actual fuck is going on here? Like, who's making these decisions? It's mm. just like Skrillex has not done a single track in that genre. And they're like, we'll just get Skrillex to do it. It's just like, man, I can't. Anyways. Should have um, got Max Martin go on scoring it. System. Yeah, let's go to the scoring system. Well, you just got to get Max Martin on it. Get yep. Max Martin on it. Call Max Martin. Mm. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll go first. Uh, I'm going to give this a. I'm going to give this a like a. a I'm never going to listen to this again. It's like a ten out of fifty for me. 
Yeah, I'm doing the same. I mean, this is not a 50-year storm. This is like, I don't even want to say it's a 10-year yeah, storm. Is, that is just like 10-year storm is pretty mate, significant. Mate, mate, this is this is this is like a Saturday afternoon in Port Phillip Bay. It is just me. <laughs> no, <Nah>, Bodie's <laughs> gone out and looked at it, and he's just turned around and going, "No, nah, I'm going back. Yeah. I'm going to get a kebab." Bodie's like, <laughs> Bodie's like, I'm not going to paddle to New Zealand. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a ten as well. It's just, it's yep. just, it's lame. I'm, I'm, I got angrier the more I listened to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going. Yeah, same thing. I don't want to get any stupider. I'm probably gonna go seven, seven out of fifty. Seven out of fifty. Yeah, seven. Harsh. I, but I really want to do five, but, but that just seems really mean. So, but I don't want to do ten. So seven seems. I'll go seven point five. There you go. Yeah. All right, seven point yeah. five. Uh, we've only had one guest who's given a zero before, so I think you know you've saved yourself from that. You don't want to go into that. <laughs> I feel like that, that is basket. very harsh. I mean, yeah, I, I could keep talking about harsh, it, but, but fair. I, harsh but fair. It's, that's that's who I am. Harsh but fair. Yep. Um. <laughs> so that was just that was Justin Bieber's Justice album, and I th- reckon we've done it justice <laughs> by coming to a cumulative score of. Seven, ten, and ten. ten. That that is a, a total of th- thirty-seven out of one hundred and fifty. And I would say, of all of the numbers that have been clocked against this record, including the two point five billion streams, thirty sorry, twenty-seven out of uh, potential one hundred and fifty is the one that hopefully Belieber sits. Nice and tight with. We'll be back shortly with our next album. Top down cause she worked hard for it. But black house so they won't see her in it. Bust down, baby, ain't tired of this. Diamonds, baby, bought all of them. Dressed up and she just was right in. Bust down, baby. Now they just dropped them too bad They want another now you're asking for too much uh. Order what you like Don't have to pay about the parties at midnight She wants to answer that for so bad to feel nice So the third album we have for you this evening is Georgia Smith's Be Right Back and Georgia Alice Smith Born 1997 God, it makes me feel old Is an English singer-songwriter from... Warsaw in the West Midlands. Her debut studio album, Lost and Found, was released in 2018 to critical acclaim and peaked at number three in the UK album chart. 2018, Smith won the British Critics' Choice Award. In 2019, she was named Best British Female Artist at the 2019 British Awards and was also nominated for a Grammy Award for Best New Artist. Um, Georgia began taking piano lessons at the age of eight at the encouragement of her father, she earned a music scholarship at Aldridge School where she learned the oboe, studied classical singing, as we all do, um, before taking music for her A-level exams. She was scouted by Eric. This is going to start reading like one of those Wikipedia entries that like all this good stuff happens to that never happens to anyone else except these, <laughs> yeah. you know, these people. That She was scouted these by a manager at the age of 15 after uploading a video of herself singing cover songs on YouTube. 
Shortly after, she began travelling to London for writing sessions with Mavericks uh, Sabre and Ed Thomas while still in school. After graduation, she moved to London at the age of 18 where she was supported. She supported herself by working as a barista and continued to write songs. Um, in 2015, she was co-signed um, to Maverick Sabra's uh, publicity company. Uh, her second single, Where Did I Go?, released in May, was singled out by Drake as his favourite track of the moment in Entertainment Weekly. Following that recognition and exposure, um, Smith caught the attention of um, a Sony executive with mainstream connections and signed her to a publishing deal. Those connections led to her doing uh, f an extended player. Um, she was she performed as a special guest on Drake's Boy Meets World tour in 2017. Um, what else did she do? She released the song "Beautiful Little Fools" on International Women's Day. Titles reference to Great Gatsby. She performed as performed as the opening act on the Bruno Mars 24K Magic World Tour. Oof. God, it's all happening for this girl. Um, yeah. Um, she was the recipient of the British Critics' Choice Awards. Blah blah blah. Lots of shits going on. She's the she's the it girl. Um, but she hadn't done much since the 2018 album Lost and Found. Um, she cites Lauren Hill, Amy Winehouse, Alicia Keys, Sade, Adele, um, Nina Simone as influences. The Streets as well. God, we hated that last album, The Streets, didn't we? Well, you, uh, no, you hated it. I hated it, sorry. Um, Style-wise, she also cites Rihanna as the sole fashion icon she aspires, aspires to be like. Um, look, for, to me, this album was a bit of a creeper. Um, I was really on the fence on this, especially one song in. I was actually... Uh, and when that guitar dropped in that first track, I'm like, okay, like this is not just going to be your like super bland R&B album. And I just thought that first track came across as a teaser and I got to the end of the song and I thought, okay, like maybe I might be into it. I'm not sure where this album is going to go. Um, her voice is really lovely. Um, and I thought that first song had a more than passing resemblance to Katy Perry's Fireworks, not in a bad way, and Zero, zero Shade. Um, on fireworks, no shade. <laughs> no shade. I love that song. Um, track two, um, here and what was shining through to me was the keys that she was choosing to sing in, like really suited her voice. Um, she's this beautiful mid range that just sits on the track and doesn't feel like she's pushing. And and I just think this was true of the whole album. Um, and also gave her room to sort of falsetto as the tracks moved on. Um, so first listen. I'm still not feeling like I'm fully into it, but I wasn't really out of it either. Um, I really, really like the reggae tinge track three, Bust Down. Um, another mid-range vocal, um, but with a bit more of a pulse. And, you know, the way that she weaves, like, her melody around the song really worked. And by this point, I'm sort of feeling I was at a tipping point. And we've got good build and we've got good flow. And her articulation reminded me a bit of that Arlo Parks album that we listened to. Um, like that UK accent with, you know, the cool sort of street attitude. Um, but then it sort of never really went anywhere. Like it sort of went into a bit of an acoustic song and I didn't understand what that B. Joyce sort of thing was, you know, when they had that sort of um, clip of her talking to some guy. Um, lots of mid-tempo tracks. Um, uh, Burn was another mid-tempo track, but that was actually quite nice. Digging was cool. 
I'm not completely sure whether this album fully hits home. Um, not in a way that like that Leanne La Harvest album did last year, Eric. Um, mm. So, uh, and I think I put that in the same genre section. And I'm kind of here interested to hear what your takes are going to be before I sort of score this. But like her voice is gorgeous. She uses it well. Nails the key choices. And the first time round, I was pretty. I, I just thought it was pretty down on the album. The second time I listened to it was really late at night. And without a doubt, this is like way more of a late night, turn the lights down low type of album. Um, and uh, I think from my initial review, I really came round to a point of thinking it was solid second time round. Um, so like a little bit of research I did was that um, these are apparently songs, this is an EP, and these were songs that ended up on the cutting room floor to give a fan something between albums. So if that's the case and not some sort of marketing mm. spiel, then fair play. Like, this is there's pretty freaking awesome songs for Cutting Room 4 tracks. Um, so there must be mm. some high quality, you know, coming up with his album. Um, I thought mix-wise, there's some seriously awesome reverb at play on the vocals. Like, it's cavernous at times, particularly on Bust Down. And so, like, earphone or headphone ear candy. Um, so I loved it. Um, I'm going to sort of hold back until I heard what you guys think. I think I think I liked it. Tamara? Um, yeah, I liked I liked this album. Like at the start, same thing. I, I I was like, wow, she can totally sing. She's like got a really beautiful voice. And I really um, you know, I think, you know, vocals are so um like subjective, you know, like I really <coughs> When, when um I really love when I listen to singers and they have this sort of unaffected thing about the way they sing, it, it makes me just like them a lot more and I feel like, yeah, they're being more authentic or more honest and um, they're not trying to pull one over on you or something. I don't know. Um, and I feel like she has a really mm. unaffected, naturally beautiful instrument. And, yeah, like you said, she uses it really well, mm. which I really liked. And even like in the first, first tracks, again, like there's just different influences in there. Like I could hear like – vibes of like James Blake or something even with the way she's singing um with some of it um and some of her vocal like tonal choices and even some phrasing stuff um and there's a track later on called Burn where it's like Billie Eilish vibes in the way she's doing some of that stuff too but it's again it's still really her which I really liked um look yeah same thing like the more I listen to this album the more I've liked it on subsequent listens which which I think is sort of cool, you know. Um, yeah, the tunes weren't mm. super memorable on the first listen, but as I've gone back to them, I'm like finding more things in them. They're quite sort of subtle in a way. So they're not like right in your face, but there's some really nice things going on. Um, um, the production and playing on the album is really great too, I reckon. So um, unlike the Bieber thing that's like produced, you know, unbelievable, like just way too much, um, like too many cooks. Unbe- unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> yes, thank you. Unbelievable. Like yeah. nice. Unintentional. Um, but I really like uh, there was just some really nice spatial awareness and sonic variation in this album and just like actually letting musicians do what they do and a mix of like beats and programming and just I just felt really – and there was a lot of space in it too. Like it wasn't overproduced, mm. um, which I think takes uh, chops – you know, production chops to actually have the guts to leave some space in there and and use that to your advantage. So, yeah, I, I think I, I listened to this first um, with headphones and then I was listening to it on the computer as well just this afternoon again and it's like, wow, it just sounds great through this, 
even my crappy laptop speakers, um, which was really cool. Um, some of the melodic content on the album, I wanted some of the melodies to be a bit more juicy or something. I felt like they were cool, yeah. but they I wanted I wanted a bit more. But maybe that's also a sign of um, you know, like you're saying, if they're cutting room floor tracks, that's a pretty uh, that's not too bad. And also, um, I, I could totally go back and listen to this album a bunch more times and and find more in it, which again is not something I uh, find myself saying a lot. So. Um, yeah, I liked it. I think it's cool. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was something, something about that this album that just, just creeped, creeped, creeped. Um, which is always a sign of a good album, I think. Um, Arik, what did you reckon? Um. So when I first put it on, uh, I you didn't I, I like it, and then you that. liked it the second time. Is that what you're about to say? <laughs> Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so when I first put it on, I got really, really excited. I was like, oh my God, here we go, Georgia Smith. I love her. I'd seen her. I I, I think I got into her th- through her Tiny Desk concert from a couple of years ago and yeah. was just like, there was something so endearing about her personality and like, you know, it was real music played by real people and it was cool and just hit that sweet spot of pop and, you know, interesting musicianship and i just loved her immediately um so when it came on i would i just was really pumped to listen to it and the first song came on i was just immediately biased i was like oh georgia smith yes got to review this album this week and then once i got past the first track um just it just nothing grabbed me Mm. across all of the eight tracks that was like this is sick. This is great. It, it it means something. It stands for something. And then it I listen. I actually listened to this album more than any other of the albums this week. I listened to it like literally all week. And I cannot, unfortunately, tell you a single song that like I'm like this is unreal. It just all was a bit of like a wash. It almost felt like a Georgia Smith compilation album of Georgia Smith. Um, it didn't feel like a body of work. Um, and with that in mind, I didn't love it. I don't think I'm going to listen to it again. Um, it's just, I don't know, it just didn't grab me. Um, whilst I have mad respect and love for what she does and she's such a great vocalist and clearly a good musician, I think, um, you know, what's coming out of the UK right now is really, you know, pretty remarkably good. Yeah. Um, if if this is to stand up against, say, an Arlo Parks or Liana Harvest, then this is no not even close. Um, it's isn't it interesting how like our perception of you know or our past experiences with with artists um, influence our our thoughts on yeah. what we think of the albums? Because yeah, I hadn't heard of her, so I I came in really fresh, and same with Tamara, I guess. So yeah, it's interesting. Mm. Well, let's let's take it to the scoring scale. I might go first. Um, to me, just like a total C plus. It, it's just like it's 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 good. It's okay. It sounds cool. Um, but again, you know, I guess just by virtue of her past work, that's what potentially makes this go down in my scoring. So I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it probably a thirty three out of uh, a potential 50 years of storm. Storm, yeah. Okay, well, I'll go second. I think I'm going to 
I'm not that far away from you. Like, um, maybe I'll say it's um a thirty, a thirty um thirty six year storm, um, which is Ooh. well, what's it? That's not thirty six, not a prime number. Maybe a thirty seven year storm. I'll go a prime number. <laughs> um, and we'll um, I just thought, yeah, I like tomorrow. I think I'm going to come back to this one, um, and and give it another shot because. I, yeah, I put it on last night really late at night. And I was really tired, and it would just it just suited like that sort of stillness of the night. And maybe, yeah, as I said, maybe you turn the lights down low. You know, when you get back home from the studio tonight, I reckon. You know, someone who's still in the sort of you know the uh, <laughs> the the throes of of. Uh, um, non-married life, you know, maybe this, maybe this is an album that could work for you in in that sort of environment. I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps I'll uh, I'll report back. <laughs> That'd be good, but yeah, um, it'll be a feature on next week's podcast. <laughs> it'll be a spin-off series. Um, songs that that move me. Um, the movie, the movie of un- the the soundtrack of Unmarried Bloom. <laughs> That's right. Very good, Eric. Very good. Um, so, look, uh, that's a 37 from me. A nice prime number. A 33 from Eric. Tamara, what did you think of it? Oh, yes. Okay. I did like it. Um, I'm trying to think whether I liked it more than um, the St. Vincent one or not. I reckon it's probably similar for me. So, I'm going to go, uh, yeah, around the same. I'm going to go 37. Ooh, that's the same as me. Did I give it 37? Oh, prime numbers. Prime number twins. Beautiful. Prime <laughs> number twins. That's right. It's a bass player thing, Eric. You wouldn't understand me. Okay. No, clearly not. Uh, well, maybe an electric bass thing anyway. Um, so that's uh, two 37s <laughs> and a 35. Or what is that? 35 from you, Eric? 35. 35. Um, yep. so that's still pretty good. It is pretty good, yeah. Um, considering I reckon that's generous. Yeah, considering you didn't seem to like it that much. I mean, we gave a lot better reviews and we're only two two years of storm difference. Um, I mean, even though I, f- I, I disappeared and came back, I reckon um, my theme for the year, I mean, you, you two don't know me that well, but my theme for the year, maybe it's after COVID, is being um, low expectations is the key to happiness. And, uh, yes. <laughs> which I know sounds bleak. No, it's not bleak. But it's sort of true. No, going with zero and, um, expectations and you come out happy. Yeah, totally. And I feel like Eric went in there going, she's amazing. This is going to be incredible. And, of course, how can anything live up to that That's thing? True. And I'd never heard of her before. And I was like, wow, you know, voice, like this velvety voice. Yep. Beautiful. So cool. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I guess, was, I, was really I guess that also really – Helps um, the fact that you know that that was your approach tonight on coming on the podcast. <laughs> you know, low expectations. <laughs> I'm really trying to stick with it this year. <laughs> yeah, just I dig it. It works you know in all, I mean? types I mean, there, there, all types of scenarios. All types of scenarios. There is a. We, it's there really. Is a, that's right. There's a reason why people say yes to this, and um, we, we understand now. <laughs> it's to do with Tamara Murphy's new constitution. Murphy's law. Low, low expectations is the key to happiness. Right. I'm thinking about getting some t-shirts made, but they have that on it, but have it written backwards so you see it when you look in the mirror. Oh, I love Gold. that. How's that? Huh? There I might be a merch tab on my website. Soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's coming along. I think I like oh, that better that than the, the two acoustic and bases and the electric bass idea. 
Accidental chroming. I mean, just, just growing. Accidental chroming is coming. She's just saving her best ideas for later in the pod. Like, hopefully, people are still listening by now. I yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. Though, should have like dropped this like, like an hour ago. Know, that's it. Low expectations. Got to have low expectations. Uh, Never know what's coming. I think this is a new thesis so topic. Is this true. is going to be the second thesis on uh, on her website. <laughs> My PhD. Yeah, great. Doctorate. Doctorate. Come All on. right, Doctor Murphy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, let's do it. It was the uh, George's Miss Be Right Back, 35, 37 and 37. I'm looking for a city on the It's a beautiful city That's what I've been told Where we are not bought We are not sold Way down, way down, way down, way down A city So the fourth and final album we have for you this evening is Daniel Lemoir's Heavy Sun. Uh, Lemoir was born in Hull, Quebec. Uh, I reckon that's a Commonwealth reference? Who knows? Um, Lemoir started his production career when he was 17, recording local artists with his brother Bob Lemoir in a studio in the basement of their mother's home in Hamilton, Ontario. Um Later. Oof, I've got a question about. I've got. I've actually oh, got a story about did, Hamilton, Ontario. Does Bieber come from Ontario? Just, no, he doesn't. But I was actually on tour in Hamilton, Ontario, and oh, uh, it was God. the second date of a international tour. And um, I was. They said it's the student capital of Ontario. Mm. There's a bit of a student town, and yep. uh, I was given a really high dose of magic mushrooms, and um, <laughs> basically. Uh, went on a nightmare trip that involved staring into the mirror and seeing a, a, my reflection as Moby. And then after that... <laughs> Moby, like the, the DJ um, Moby. Mo, Moby the DJ. And yeah, yeah. then... So that was really fucked up. And then next minute, I uh, I went into the corridor of the... like I don't even know if we were in a hotel or... I don't know where the fuck we were, but there were dorms. Hamilton. And... Um, in Hamilton. And... Uh, and um and I saw the bass player in my band uh just carrying walking down the corridor with like an armful of bagels and this was like at like <laughs> five a.m. and I was like Paulie where'd you get the bagels from and he's like I've got no idea and then we just sat in the corridor while I was trying to calm down from my really really heavy trip um eating dry bagels anyways Hamilton great town continue. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. He worked with a number of local bands, including Martha and the Muffins, for whom his sister <laughs> Joycelyn played bass. Um, and he also uh, recorded Ray, Maderick and Spoons. And the Canadian children's singer, Raffi, um, he's perhaps best known as an engineering producing whiz, having worked on albums for artists such as Spoons, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Peter Gabriel, Emmylou Harris... 
Willie Nelson, Brandon Flowers. I like in Wikipedia how they put Spoons first. I would have probably put Bob Dylan first, maybe, or Peter Gabriel or Neil Young. Anyway, <laughs> he collaborated with Brian Eno to produce several albums for U2, including The Joshua Tree and Uktung Baby. Three albums produced or co-produced by Lenoir have won Grammy Awards for Album of the Year. Four others have albums. Four other albums have received Grammy nominations. Um, as well as being a producer, Lenoir is a songwriter, musician, and recording artist. He's released several solo albums and film scores. His first album, uh, Acadie, is it? Ah, Acadie, was released in 1989. A number of Lemoyne's songs have been covered by other artists, including Dave Matthews, uh, Jerry Garcia Band, Willie Nelson, <laughs> Tea Party. Tell us what you really think, Wazza. <laughs> I can hate that band. Um, oh, and I've got a story Boulay. about Dave Matthews. No, stop. And Emily Lou Harris. His albums have um, had some success, particularly in Canada. Uh, Lemoyne plays the guitar, pedal steel on drums. Um, Belladonna, an instrumental album released in 2005, was nominated for a Grammy. Uh, Lamoire's song Soho Dorado was included in the 2004 Billy Bob Thornton film Friday Night Lights. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, Lamoire started a project called Black Dub, which features Lamoire on guitar, Brian Blade on drums, and Daryl Johnson on bass. Uh, they released a self titled album in 2010. In 2014, Lamoire played with Emmy Lou Harris as a sideman, an opening act on a tour focused on the Wrecking Ball material he produced. Um, I might throw this... Oh, no, actually, I'll, re I'll read the press release um, before I throw this to you guys. Um, it was recorded in Los Angeles and Toronto. Um, Heavy Sun fuses classic gospel and modern electronica, mixing gritty human textures with crisp digital accents and lush, swirling atmospherics to create a sound that's at once... Warmly familiar and boldly unexpected. The arrangements here are spacious and dreamy, anchored by a rich, righteous organ, topped with airy falsetto and mesmerizing four part harmonies. Fuck, who wrote this? Um, the communal spirit is on display here with Lamoir and his bandmates, guitarist, vocalist Rocco De Luca, organist, vocalist Johnny Shepard, and bassist, vocalist Jim Watts Wilson showcasing an undeniable chemistry and boundless appetite for sonic discovery that far surpasses the influence of any individual member. Um, I might, Tamara bought this album, Twist, and I might throw to you, Tamara, to kick it off. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I actually, I know a little bit about Daniel Lanois, but I haven't heard heaps of his stuff. I feel like I've listened to lots of things that he's either sort of produced or things where he's sort of been involved with but not really his things as much. So it was really um, – I was really sort of a bit uh, – I kept my expectations low, <laughs> yes. but it was uh, <laughs> it was, um, it was was good to, uh, to sort of hear his thing and I really didn't know what to expect, um, which I really – I like going into albums that Me way. Um, yeah, like – and just off the bat, like I really like the sounds on the album. Like once, as soon as it opened, I was like, oh, I just really loved, again, just the, the way the sounds are captured and I don't know whether it's post-production or what it was, but the actual sounds on the album I really liked. Um, and even like on the first track, the fact that there's no drums on the first track, mm. it's sort of um, it's sort of a bit sounded quite epic and a bit dynamic straight away, which I thought was quite cool 
you know, a sort of, again, a quite a risk-taking sort of way to start an album. Like even though there's no drums on it, it sounded pretty epic and big and um, – and also that first track felt like it wasn't recorded to click to, like it sort of had this wonky thing to it but in a way that gave it a bit of personality. It wasn't uh, – it didn't really bother me so much. It just felt like it breathed and was a bit like an old jalopy or something mm. but it just had some charm and character and I sort of liked that. Um, and then once the drums did kick in, yeah, I really liked the drum sounds. In fact, a lot, all the sounds on this album I really liked – um, and there were, again, there's a mix of like analog things, programming. Um, I reckon this album would sound really good on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and there's some really weird, unorthodox mixing choices going on. Like all the way through it, there's all these BVs which are like really hard panned and right up the front. But you can hear everything. Like you can hear all of the vocals the whole time. You can hear every harmony. Um, you know, often you hear something where someone's overdub themselves like 16 times to do shitloads of bvs on it and you can hear some of them but the other ones are more like an effect and they're more in the distance and it's they've just done a thousand takes whereas you know i feel like daniel did like five or six and you can hear all of them and they're all right up the front and it's sort of again it's it feel, felt like more of a risk-taking thing which i was just like wow i've never heard someone mix an album like that which is uh, i just thought it was interesting yeah, what, yeah. you know um, and I felt like this was a nice, um, what's the word? A nice balm <laughs> after hearing the Justin Bieber thing. It's sort of like the antithesis yeah, yeah. of that album where it's like, you know, there's one producer and Daniel Lanois seems to have a really strong, um, sort of, you know, uh, musical sort of ethos or aesthetic that he, that runs through his work and there's nothing new here. Like it was all just bluesy sounds and really simple sort of tunes, but it just had, it felt honest to me and, and it sort of was interesting to listen to and it was sort of gritty as well. And um, I sort of like a bit of grit uh, in listening to a mix like that. But it's so. interesting though, when you, when you get two different, when you get producers of different generations, both legendary producers, like for like Daniel Lenoir obviously is. Um, with his with his back catalogue and then you compare it to legendary producers that work with Justin Bieber. It's sort of like it's a bit of a head fuck actually um, and how they approach Yeah, it's things. such a different thing. But I, I sort of feel like it's an – like again you were talking before about like if you had shitloads of money and you threw it at <laughs> yeah. something and you got heaps of people in to work on yep. it. Well, <laughs> you mean my art, instrumental art yeah, music yeah, band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's going to be a number one. Five hundred million um, straight up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> like post minimalism. Yeah, people love that shit. Um, so the, uh, <laughs> um, but you know, like the the Bieber thing. Like, I think it's such an interesting thing to talk about because it's like you have all this cash, but actually. Uh, there's like so too many cooks in there. Like that was that for me. That album was such a too many cooks. You're just passing it from one person to another. No one's really owning it. No one's putting their name on it completely. I know Bieber sort of is, but again, even his vocals were like produced so much that I think he can really sing, but you can't really hear it because it's produced yeah, so much. Yeah, sort of tuned as well. Whereas with this, you know, you, yeah, totally. And it's like I feel like he can sing. I don't think you have to go so hard. But that doesn't make the money. You know? They don't. They don't. Well, he doesn't need to pay the bills, but um. Yeah, that yeah that, that's not how it works these days, which is really sad. I mean, let's not yeah, get into microtonal so sort of auto tuning and things like that, but um, it's just that's that's the TikTok generation. That's what they want to hear, and this is the antithesis wow. of that. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, very much so. totally. Like I felt like this was really good for me to listen to after that, <laughs> and it was like, oh yeah, I could come back to this, <laughs> and um, and put my feet back on the ground again, and and remember where I am. Um, yeah, so it's almost I, like we tortured it, Eric. Yeah, so I liked, I liked it, even though there's some things about it. I was like, "Well, this is pretty, pretty nutty." Um, there, you know, again, I reckon I could come back to this album, and and find some more in it. Yeah, um, but you know, I didn't. Uh, you know, harmonically, it's like there's nothing crazy going mm. on here. It's all sort of has a rootsy feeling to it. I reckon this album. Um, yeah, that's all I've got. Well, I might go next. Um. I look. I gave this. Uh, I gave this a couple of listens, um, and it was kind of the, one of those things where, like, I was like listening intently, and then I just kind of drifted off and didn't, just couldn't stay with it. There was, I like, I mean, like my, my overall memories were like that. What I felt was cool was kind of like this kind of Hammond-led project with a vocal, um, but I agreed it did sound like quite sort of like traditional sort of blues roots music. Um, never heard of this artist before, so it was kind of cool to kind of get across it. But um, for me, I just couldn't get through the album, unfortunately. Um, I gave it a red hot go and it just didn't, it just didn't land. And, you know, it, it's interesting how what you listen to can so, like what, what predates your listen can change the way you approach something so mm. in in the in the world of where this sat on my spectrum it was georgia smith saint vincent and then like saint vincent over and over and over and over again and then it was this album and it just like i guess all of that juicy ear candy stuff kind of t- got, got it kind of got really sort of burnt down into like a really quite simplistic set of arrangements and as such i just I didn't vibe on it, so I just thought I'd just get my review in there early, um, and uh, and I'll throw to you, was. Well, you know when you have that moment when you um, go to get a glass of water and you just scull it down because you really need a glass of water, but then you realise you put like fourteen year old whiskey like in that glass of water and you have <laughs> filled it up halfway and you just scull it down and you just go, oh Jesus, like yeah, and then you've already put it down your throat. Um, but to the album, I think this was. Um, <laughs> I think this is really predetermined by how you listen to it. A bit like in reference to what you said. Um, I listened to it over the weekend with my good Sennheiser reference headphones on. And I'm going to, you know, with full respect, no shade to you, Tamara. I'm going to disagree <laughs> with you slightly. I didn't really like the mix. Um, not necessarily the songs, um, for me, but it was the mix. And for me, I thought it had a lot of trickery and um, perfectness about it. And and I, and I the issue I had with it was it wasn't in... I didn't think it was in line with the genre of music I was hearing, which, like, is unmistakably um, gospel and, and rootsy in, 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 what they're put, in what they're putting out. But um, to me, like, good gospel, like, you know, obviously would be heard on, like, a, like a 78 record or but like you know if it's modern day gospel i think of something like joe henry's recorded like on solomon burke's recordings or the blind boys of alabama um like if you're looking for a modern aesthetic recording of gospel music um and i guess that's probably me putting my own prejudices on the record but that's how i want to listen to a gospel album and i want it gritty and earthy and not with like lots of width 
and panning and perfection and i don't want to hear every instrument i want to hear it all banging up against each other so like today like i went back this afternoon for my like take two and on my shitty worked laptop speakers and like bang there it was like it was mono and shitty and and i i like i got a lot more out of it listening to it in that respect um and then I went back to again tonight and put it on Spotify on my um, fuck. What do you call the the ones the the Sonos on my Sonos? The, the Sonos. And um and had that going on in the background while I was making dumplings and like it's got this sort of hauntingly sort of voodoo thing going on about it and like so the things I did like were I liked some of the harmony choices um were really interesting the, the Hammond playing was nice um I think. Overall, like the tempos were really similar, and so there didn't seem to be much of you know there, there wasn't any light and shade going on, which I sort of feel like I, I always want in a good album. And then, you know the the beginning, the middle, and the end, which we've talked about sort of ad nauseum over many episodes, Eric. But um, I thought there's some lovely tracks. This, there was one standout track for me, um, and the track's called "Way Down," and it was. Um, was very hymn-like, um, had a beautiful falsetto lead vocal and and the harmonies were really haunting and I really liked that track. But yeah, I, I just had some mix issues and yeah, I just wanted it more gritty and more earthy. Um, yeah, but I didn't not like it and um, I sort of a bit on the fence about this one. But yeah, enjoyed, enjoyed listening to it three times. Um, so should we, should we rate it? What do we think? Let's do it. Mm. Did yeah. I crap on too much there? Does anyone want to disagree with anything I've said there? I'd, I'd be more than happy to have a fight about it. No, it's good. No, it's really good. Well, because it's such a funny thing. Like you said something that all the tempos are really quite similar. And I so agree with you. Like I love that thing of where you, you listen to a, an album and you get taken on a whole journey all the way through it. Whereas that voodoo thing is such a vibe with this. Mm. Like it's totally felt like for me that it did have this voodoo-y thing. And even when I first listened to it, I had um sort of these earbud things that I've got. And um, the Hammond, like the Leslie, you could feel this like left-right woo-woo-woo-woo thing going mm, on as the yes. Leslie spinning around. Totally. And that sort of started messing with me. But in a way it was like, oh, this is sort of fucked, but it's sort of cool at the yeah. same time. And just I just liked that it was just so unusual. And um, I don't know, I just – even though that unorthodox thing of just like the way he's placed everything, like whoever did the mix, like it's just so weird – but I just sort of like that. It's so interesting. Like if it wasn't a gospel thing and then someone had mixed things like that, it would be fine, I reckon. You know what I mean? Yeah, like oh, it totally. is that thing mm. where you have these prejudice and you own that too, you know. But I think I, I, I guess for me I really like I mean, this is sort of my whole thing, I guess, but I I like getting rid of all those filters and yeah. it's just all the same. So I like that when people start messing with that stuff for me, I think it's really fun and playful and cheeky and, um, you know, as Australian culture, like one of the only things we have is larrikinism, yeah. I think. And I feel like that is such a fucking with it thing. And I really, I, I really like that. I thought it was interesting. So, um, I yeah. totally agree with everything you said there. Yeah. I, I, I think, like, and I think Eric and I generally yeah. like agree with that, with that premise because mm. we, you know, we, we like, I mean, we both decided that we we like when things are different and people go outside of the box because things are so homogenized these days that, yeah, you need you need this, and it actually fucks with your brain a little bit when you hear things that are different because it takes you a while to recenter what it is that you're actually hearing because you, you we're fed this sort of westernized mm. version of what you know mix mixes are 
that that yeah it's so nice to hear something different but again i'm just like doesn't mean it's always good and i just didn't i wasn't getting it totally wasn't and you you don't have to love it too that's the other thing is like you can know like there's things where i'm like logically i know blah 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 but this is how i feel about yep. it you know like yeah. you you at the end of the day you either like something or you don't <laughs> and you can justify it however you want to but you know you feel how you feel and i think that's fine you know, whether, whether you're a musician or an audience member or both or whatever, it doesn't, yeah. you, you know, your That's what it comes down to in the end. Really Do I valid. like it or don't I like it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. So, um, but I did like it even though it was really kooky and I want to get back in the voodoo and see what the hell's going on. So I probably would give it a 40, I reckon. 40-year storm. Yeah. Ooh, that's big. 40-year mm. storm. <laughs> <laughs> Bodie, I reckon Bodie would go out in that. He'd be up for it. 40 years still. That's good sets coming in. He might come back though. He might come back. <laughs> he might come back. <laughs> it's only a 40 year uh, storm. It's not a 50 year storm. All right. What do you reckon? Um, look, I, I'll probably land on a 30 year storm. Really? Uh, actually... Yeah, I'll pick it back, actually. I'm going to make it more 27-year 20, storm. I think it's the past. I got I got influenced by when you started talking about the Leslie and because it was something that I noticed also straight away. But I'm going to give that five years of storm like, for that, Leslie. I can't give I can't give five years of storm for that. So I'm going to I'm going to land on a on a 27 out of 50. Um, I'm going to give it more than um, Justice by Justin Bieber. Um, which is not saying much, but I, I listened to this three times and uh, I can't believe it. I'm going to give it less than you, Eric, because like I actually thought I did a good job with listening to this and reviewing it and thinking about it, but I'm going to give it a 25 year storm. Oh my God. Out of 50. It's a halfway. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, I feel bad about doing that, but uh, you know, fuck, what a great producer. Unforgettable Fire, Octung Baby. I mean, the guy can mix. Um, and he, he actually sang really well as well. I like the mix of singers on this album. I don't need to justify it anymore. 25 out of 50. Done. <laughs> it's okay. Done. <laughs> Your feelings are valid. <laughs> You're good to Thanks, go. Um, Arik, um, let's wrap this thing up for the night. What do we think? Like, tomorrow, what's going on with you with gigs? Is Are we done? For the next couple of weeks, is there anything coming up? Um, I don't know. I mean, gosh, theoretically, I've got a couple of gigs on the weekend, but we will see whether they happen or not. Mm, um, not feeling it. Uh, Kate has a big tour later this year, and I'm crossing everything that that actually happens. Is that a national tour? Um, it is a national tour mm. um, later on. Um, I'm also doing a mini tour in July. We've been playing with Nat Bartsch. She's got this. Um, she's a pianist who does this. Um, really cool sort of lullaby project. If you've got kids and you want them to go to sleep and listen to something that doesn't suck <laughs> as a parent, it's like kids' music that isn't crap. But it's sort of just really nice to listen to. But it actually sends your kids to sleep. Like she did all this research on things that put puts babies to sleep and she's a composer and cool. a pianist. And so she did this solo album of that music. And my daughter, who's uh, now seven, when she was younger, she'd want it, she loves music and I couldn't let her listen to music when she'd go to sleep because it would keep mm. her up. But that album, every time, it's the only thing I still let her listen to when she wants to listen to music when she goes to sleep because it always knocks her out. It's awesome. So many ways you could interpret um, that. And <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm sure I'm going to interpret it a good we way. Did a, it's great. It's amazing. It's really beautiful. And uh, and so we did a recording just before the first lockdown, like 
oh, a few days before the first lockdown, we got into ABC Studios and actually recorded a band version of that album. So we're doing a little tour in July. What, what sort of places do you well? do for that? So again. Um, it's, I don't know, I, I haven't even properly looked at it. I think there's some theatres and um, some sort of jazz clubs and things like that. Yeah, because it's like instrumental, it's really soothing music. It's sort of a bit Bill Frizzelli, like sort of minimal Ooh. but like nice sounds. Lots of space Arik, in you it. you would love this. Um, I can feel this. It's going to send you take you to sleep, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> you like music to go to sleep too. <laughs> Check it out. I love um, that. But yeah, she... We, the, the album's called, I think the first one uh, is just lullabies. Oh, it's called Forever. What's it called? Forever and No Time at All. And the one that we were on with the band is called Forever Now, I think. Um, I should know. I'm on it. But mm. You're a busy person. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's cool. Yeah, it's it's a really cool album. And, um, yeah, so it'll be fun to play that. Um, and, yeah, just lots of gigs with local people and, and stuff as well in Melbourne, assuming we get to do that soon mm. um how about you guys are you doing some playing yeah i've uh i've got a show uh well two shows or one opening for Wazza actually on the 23rd <laughs> of july and i got another one that's the night cat and i got one on the 28th of june at the corner opening for nairi so that should be pretty fun oh nice is that the next night or is it the week after no, 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 a month later. Oh, in the August. Okay. Well, let's hopefully those yep, July yep, yep. gigs go ahead. I mean, God, what is it? The 1st oh, of ju- June, June today. Scary, scary times. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just got a taste of it. We just want to get back out there and start playing again. It's just frustrating. I know. I know. Can't just like have these studio things we'll all the time. There. We'll get we'll there. That's get right. There. One day. I mean, let's not. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Um, well, Tamara, thank you so much for being a part of this tonight. <laughs> We've loved having you on. Thank you both. It's so lovely to meet you. It's so fun. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's do it again at some stage if you, you will consent to coming into RX space. You can see it's quite small <laughs> in the background on the on the podcast, but uh, it, it is nice and he does provide prawn crackers. So. Um, Oh, that sounds. I love prawn crackers. <laughs> Later in the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. She also likes expensive I'm beer. Gonna, I, um, I mean this in the nicest way. I'll keep my expectations <laughs> low. <laughs> All right. It's like both a compliment and an insult. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm no, there, I'm, no. We are we are here for it. That's right. Don't you worry. Bring it on. Bring it on. <laughs> All right. Let's send us home for the night, please. Waza, it's been an absolute privilege and pleasure to once again share a uh, fourth lockdown with you, your esteemed company and your your, your brilliant mind. Um, for all those tuning in, thank you again. You've listened to the All Music Is Good podcast and we'll see you next time.